Are you sitting comfortably? Then we'll begin. Everybody and welcome to another episode of There's Still Time, the AFTN Soccer Show, broadcasting on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. I'm Michael McCall. I'm Steve Pander. And I'm Zachary Adam Eisenhower. And we've got a Whitecaps win to talk about, a Canadian Derby win. If they're using these games against the Canadian teams to decide who might be their representative in the Canadian Championship for 2021. That That's looking good, but we'll come to all that soon. We've got to start the show off, though, by how we start off all our shows off late. We're going to be opening up some more 2011 Upper Deck Soccer cards. And we'll, we'll rattle through it a little bit this week. I think it kind of dragged on a little bit too much last week and we've got a lot to talk about from today. So let's get our, our cards open. And we have a special guest waiting for us right Yes, now. we do as well. So, Oh, I, I will start the cards off with, since we're talking about Canadian derbies and Canadian clashes, it's a guy in his TFC colours. It's my donut-eating friend from Seattle. It's Stephen Fry. I have a, I have a current uh, Minnesota loon player, who is more known for his days with the Flounders, Osvaldo Alonso. Oh, that's a good one. I wouldn't mind him for my midfield. I have a midfielder from New England Revolution, looking a little bit Tim Parker-esque in his photo, but it's Pat Phelan. Oh yeah, I remember him. I have defender from the Goats, Mariano Trajijo. I do not remember this player. No. I've got a guy that might be a double, or I might have had not his super draft card, Jaleo Anibaba. Oh, nice. Yeah, I don't think that is a double. I think that's that's just his draft card. Yeah, I don't think you had that before. Uh, I have a card that Michael already has, MLS coach Josh Wolf. Oh. You have this one, right? I do. Chicago Fire again, midfielder, Marco Papa. Papa! I also, this is like a catch-up pack. Uh, I'm catching up on all the cards you have. MLS Super Draft, Chivas USA, Zarek Valentin. Oh. He is in my team, actually, at the moment. He's my right back in the team. Now, you're going to love this guy. I know you love the Jesus, Zach. It's Jesus Padilla from Chivas. Oh, okay, I think Michael, you got you got almost this whole pack before. Four, <laughs> four out of these six cards you have: Eric Alexander, oh, from, from uh, 
Dallas, you have this one, right? Yeah, I nearly had him in my team when I was looking for a left back, but I went with Leo Gonzalez instead. Now, this is the only card from my pack that might make it into my team. So right now I've got Bill Hamid as my keeper. Who's your keeper? Oh, it was Pickens, but then I switched it. Uh, I can't remember now. It might be Pickens. Hmm. I don't think it's this guy. I don't think you made an official switch yet. Right, I think I'm going to put this guy in instead of Bill Hamid. Oh. Then... It's Nick Romando. Oh! oh! I've been waiting to get him in my team. Look yeah. at that card. Look at the picture on it, which you can't because you're listening to this on a podcast or on the radio. Nice. You speed it after. Yeah. yeah, you have to You have to file the right paperwork to make the switch, and you know it's going to be about three, four weeks uh, <laughs> before it's official. Oh, it's not going through U.S. immigration, is it? Is this the, also the right card? Is this the card that, that this whole thing is named after? Oh, you've got <laughs> Saini Nayasi. That's him, right? It is. That's, the, that's our man. I've got him as well in my, in my decks. Maybe we did have the same pack. I don't know. No, because you don't have Osvaldo's Lonzo, I don't think. No, I don't think I do. Interesting. So that is our team. Are you likely to put any of those in your team, do you feel? Uh, the only... Well, if I can... You can have I, a think over, over the week if you want. Alonso, Alonso is the only one who probably skill-wise should make my team, but I might keep Perry Kitchen instead of him. See, I have Jeff Laurentovich as my DM, so if you don't get Alonso in there, I'll be putting Alonso in when I get him. But yeah. anyway, so that, that's our cards for this week. Let us know if you're still enjoying us doing that. Doesn't matter if you're not, we're going to keep doing it anyway. So let's get talking about football now, and I'm delighted to say that for this part, we are joined by Paul Vance from the Ballers Round podcast and Mount Royal Soccer. Welcome to the show for the first time, Paul. Thanks a lot, Michael. It's uh, nice to be here. Thanks for inviting me on. It's nice to have people on talking about the team when they lose, because it's not nice for us when we lose talking about it. So I'm sorry to put you in this predicament, really, for the first time being on our show. But if anyone hasn't heard Paul's podcast, it's The Ball is Round Montreal. really recommend checking it out. TBIR Montreal on Twitter. I was on midweek. They're going to be switching to Sundays now for the rest of the season. We'll plug that a little bit more later on, but definitely check that out. And we're going to talk about all things Whitecaps Montreal now in this part. And let's start with Paul as our guest. What did you make of that one? Well, you talked about coming on after we'd lost. Um, It's kind of losing is not really a strange phenomenon to probably either of us over the last couple (laughs) of years, to be fair. So um, there's no no problem in that. Um, The the first half was very like the game that we saw last week when when we played um, Columbus. Um, Not a lot of... um, I, I know the... The stats said at the end of the game, Montreal had 20 chances to three. And yes, they had the bulk of the possession. And if any team was going to win the game, it probably was them, but not really a lot of clear-cut chances at all. Game was played at a pretty slow pace, a bit like the first half today. So it was just like more of the same. First half was pretty boring. Although, although Mr. Mervinsky gave us a great opportunity to take the lead and, uh, and we couldn't take it. We couldn't capitalise. Yeah, I mean, Steve, what just your quick overall thoughts on it? How are you coming away from this one feeling? Well, the the, the Whitecaps came out with a new slogan this week. Uh, this is our shot. And it seemed like they had just taken the vaccine before this game, or both teams had. <laughs> they were a really slow start. It seemed like they were all sluggish. Um, so, yeah, it was just a, it's a rough first half. For me, it was like 
neither coach had confidence in the team, so neither one of them wanted to get let them loose and let them go going on the pitch. So that that's what it seemed like to me. I mean, Zach, it's kind of ironic that the slogan is "This is our shot," and this is a team that can't do anything from open play. So, h- how are you feeling coming out of this one? Well, MDS will be happy for the results, right? Like this is a uh, a good step for them, right? Uh, like Max said in the post game, you got to win your home games and uh, and get some points on the road. So, I mean, job job done for them. What, you know, was it a great performance? Was it a good match? Are they playing good football? I think there's lots of room for improvement, but at, at this early stage, they got to be ecstatic again at having what is it now seven out of uh, twelve points. Yeah, I, I don't think anyone would have pegged us for for having that many points to to kick off this season. The start. It was terrible. It, the first half hour, really, I had nothing written in my match report at all. And then, I mean, you touched on it there, Paul. Montreal got that, the first real chance of the game. I think Narinsky had just fallen asleep with, with how boring things were out there. Of all the players to give a loose ball to, I think Kyoto is the guy on the Montreal side that you don't want to, to do that to. Right. And he did well. He played it into to Johnson, and I, I thought it was a terrible finish by Johnson straight at Cripple. Great save, but by Max. But surely you want your guy to be hitting it anywhere, Paul, apart from straight at the, the keeper at that point. Yeah, look, it, it was a great save by Max, and he anticipated it really, really well. So you got to. By the way, I thought Max was absolutely. He didn't have maybe an awful lot to do, but he's very, very solid all day. Um, so kudos to him. Uh, yeah, I mean, the finish was poor. Um, you're right, Rommel did everything that he was supposed to do in laying the ball off. In fact, he teed it up beautifully for Janssen to finish. And we don't really know that much about Janssen yet. We've seen him come on three games, maybe for 10 minutes here, 20 minutes there, 10 minutes in another game. So it's been hard to judge him. Um but you look at the record he had in getting to the final of the Asian Cup last year, where I think he scored something like double figures. And most of those goals actually were him coming off the bench, not starting matches. But you only have to go back three seasons, I think it is, where, where he was second top goal scorer in the Dutch top tier, yeah. right? So, you know, you really do expect something better. And he is a Norwegian international. He was called up in the last squad. And again, you know, when, when you sort of look at those credentials you got to be finishing chances like that, right? I wanted to ask you uh, about Johnson because this has puzzled me because I thought he was being brought in as the starter. Now, mm. is it just that he's adjusting to the league, getting his fitness up? Or, I mean, why is he not starting? Maybe today's performance indicates why, but is that maybe just a little bit of rustiness as well because he hasn't been getting those minutes? I think it's fair to, to assume that that could be you know, part of it. Yes. Um, but when they signed a six foot five inch striker, my first reaction was that doesn't look like, <laughs> that doesn't look like a Thierry Henry thing. Right. Mm. And, and um, you know, um, there were a few questions that went towards Olivier Renard at the time. And he, he had come back and responded by saying, yes, um, Thierry's good with it because he knows it gives us a different option off the bench. Right. So, we're kind of thinking like it's it's somebody that's going to you know come off the bench and and probably try to change games where we're struggling or something like that or where we need a goal you know it gives you a different option throw a few high balls into the box try and get out of trouble by scoring a goal and then he's given the number nine shirt so that kind of makes you think that um, kind of makes you think he's going to be the the, the main striker yeah. 
Um, but, uh, you know, obviously Mason Toy was the guy that got the nod at the start and he's he scored two goals in the last preseason game. He's followed it up with um, goals in each of the, his first two games and he's obviously the guy in form, so he, he was getting the games. But um, on Janssen, um, I'm not sure if he was meant to be the starter. Uh, I'm, I'm really not, um, but um, I think we got to wait and see. The jury's very much out. There's a lot of people jumping all over him for that performance today on Twitter already. Um, I think it's a little bit harsh to do that, but um, we we need to wait and see. I mean, just touching on Mason Toy, how big an absence is he? I mean, we saw last week against Columbus, there was very little coming from the team attacking-wise. Today yeah. as well, th- there was there was flashes. I thought when Lapanainen came on, um, a lot more spark, but yeah. it, it does seem a bit flat without Toy in that team. Yeah, you know what the, the the two games, the two games that he, he and he's only played an hour in each of the first two games, right? After sixty minutes, he was subbed. So um, this is probably going to sound a little bit strange, but apart from the two lovely goals, beautiful goals that he scored, two great strikes, he didn't really contribute an awful lot else. Um, I know that sounds almost daft, but you know if you have a striker who's going to come on and score a goal a game, you should be very, very happy about that. But his overall contribution towards the rest of the team, I felt, um, wasn't wasn't that significant. But um, for sure, he gives us something probably more. I think if he gets that chance today, for instance, it's probably a goal, right? You're, you're more confident in him finishing, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, that... We always kind of look for the the changing points a game. That could have been one of them. If the Whitecaps had gone one down, it would be interesting then to see. I'd have assumed Montreal would have probably played a bit deeper, been a bit tighter defensively, not left themselves open. So, I mean, it it was a big, big chance. But, I mean, Zach, after that, I mean, that, that was all in the first 30. There wasn't really much after that. The cards were starting to fly, though. I liked the way the ref refereed this one I do have to say but once the cards start coming out that early from a white cat's perspective when you've got some of our guys with hot heads Cavallini picking one up again mm. that's the kind of stuff Zach that makes you a little bit anxious but they, I mean they got through it without anyone getting sent off so I mean that's a plus in itself yeah they got through with no one being sent off it was good I, I I think someone said in our discussion as I was watching with some some friends was uh, I think Cavallini has five yellow cards in four games now um, but yeah, he, <laughs> more yellow cards and goals. He's get, he, he's getting he's, he's picking them up uh, at a at a at a good pace. Um, but yeah, no, in a game like this between these two clubs, yeah, whenever you see a flurry of cards like that, you're like, you're sure this is gonna get paid off in the second yeah. half at some point. But it, but it didn't. Um, and uh, it calmed down a lot actually in the second half. Which, which maybe that maybe the referees that was maybe that's what he was hoping for. Maybe he got what he wanted. Yeah. And how he played that. So maybe maybe kudos to an MLS referee. Yeah, well, we'll talk a little bit later on about MDS's thoughts on, on MLS referees. <laughs> I'll apologise now that his kids can't go to Disneyland. That's probably my fault, but we'll, we'll come to that later on. Yeah. Now, Steve, the, the half, the only other thing I know, Kyoto flashed one past the far post. That was pretty much it. But we've seen this from the Whitecaps all four games this season. First half, they've come out really flat. They've not done much. A couple of games. Second half, they've come out. They've looked really good. This was one of those games. I mean, were you expecting it to be different in the second half, bearing in mind that 
Montreal's come from the heat and humidity. They've come to the altitude. They, it's a different atmosphere for them. They might tire a little bit. Yeah, it could be. And maybe this is part of the, what they're trying to do with the teams that are coming into. Maybe they've taken a book out of Real Salt Lake because if I'm not uh, mistaken, Real Salt Lake used to do a lot of that too, where they start off slow and then build up in the second half going. Maybe they're using that playbook um, in, in to their benefit. Um, well, I, I, MDS I, said afterwards, definitely not that they're not yeah. aiming to come out flat. But yeah, yeah, and 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 obviously Max had a lot to say, to say about that too. Actually. <laughs> But but overall, I, I think you expect them to, you know, uh, make adjustments. Maybe it's the thing that they're t- seeing what the opposition is trying to do and then make adjustments for them in the second half. Maybe that's their plan. But this is something kind of pattern that's going on with them starting off slow and then picking up in the second half. Now, Paul Montreal, they had, I, would, I can't even describe it as a chance. The ball came across and Cripple mm. just kicked it out. So, I mean, it wasn't necessarily a chance, but it was, it was an attacking threat. So Montreal started on the front foot at the start of the second half. But then they seemed to just dip. And like, Do you put that down to the way that Vancouver started playing? Or do you think they started to, to get tired a little bit? Because I know uh, Will Nancy was talking a little bit about that kind of in the build-up to this game that it could have an impact. I actually thought um, I, I actually thought the first half hour of the whole game was was pretty sterile, and then I thought from thirty minutes on in the first half Montreal started to get top. I also thought they opened the second half quite brightly, like you said, mm. it was Keyes' shot that was kicked away almost the halfway line, halfway line, I think. Yeah, Crepo. Uh, um, and, and I felt at that stage, in fact, I texted my friend Hattie and I said, these guys are there for the taking. I hope we keep pushing here. And and I honestly thought Montreal were in control yeah. until the penalty kick. I, and I think everything changed. And the ironic thing for me about the penalty kick is you had, I think it was Caicedo that was going in on, on goal and, and Miller did absolutely brilliantly well to hold him up and then take the ball from him at just about a minute before. And then he makes that rash challenge. For the penalty kick and the whole game changes then yeah i mean that that, that was i i agree i thought look, montreal's on the ascendancy here the only team that's going to score at that point felt like montreal and they were 10 percent up in the possession and i know it doesn't count for much mm-hmm. in white caps games because we've played for for years not having much possession and sometimes getting results sometimes not but yeah that, that penalty changed it and it, it was a clear penalty. There was no way that VAR was taking it away this week. It, it was interesting because I don't know if it was a foul on Cavallini in the build-up. I think he made the most of it. But some referees could maybe have called that as a foul, which would then have taken away from, mm. from the penalty chance. But that w- it was poor by Miller in one regard. But it'd be interesting to get your view on this, Paul. I, I need to see it again. I've watched it a couple of times. The first time I saw it, I thought it was very clear, and then I'm not so sure if I'm just reading too much into it. But it seems like Dahomey just takes a slight stop, a split-second stop, and then Miller then crashes into him. So it's Mm -hmm. like he's drawing the contact because he knows if I just slow up slightly here, I'm going to get clattered. And he got clattered. Yeah, I I think you're probably right. I think Dahomey was smart. Um, Certainly the first time I saw it, it was penalty all day long. And I think to be fair, the second time I saw it, it was probably penalty all day long as well. No complaints about the penalty decision at all. And I don't think Will Nancy did either. Spoke after the game. I think he felt a little bit like I just said that Montreal had started to 
get control of the game and then the penalty sort of changed everything. He said he wasn't that worried when the first goal went in from the point of view of ah. there's still lots of time to go, right? He says the problem was the second one came too quickly afterwards. Yeah, I mean, even at 1-0, because I, I mean, going into this, when we were talking on your show, we talked on our show, I fancied a one all draw. But I did say on your show midweek that if Toy wasn't playing, I fancied a one-goal Whitecaps yeah. win. So I thought, oh, well, this is probably going to be it now. It's going to just finish 1-0. But I mean, after that penalty, Zach, Montreal, they brought on Lapalainen. Lapalainen. I'm going to get his name wrong constantly. They brought on Lapalainen. I was going to do that. <laughs> they brought on Lapalainen. And that brought a spark to Montreal. And I thought, oh, immediate spark. They're going to get back into it here. But apart from a couple of half chances, Zach, they didn't really offer very much. And it kind of felt comfortable for Vancouver after that. And then it looked like they could spring the counter at any time and that they were going to be dangerous on it. They did just that in the 71st minute. They won a corner. Caicedo, lovely delivery, straight into the head, off to homey. Second of the game. We talked about this uh, in some of the other games when we were doing MLS review last week. For no Montreal player to challenge for that, and Dahomey, who's not the biggest guy in the Whitecaps team, to rise unchallenged to head that home, that that's poor. Miller was the guy who was on him as well. Oh, so was it? Yeah, ah. <laughs> it was indeed. Yeah. Was was he on him? He wasn't man marking. He was was zonal marking. From what? Yeah, he, he was he was closest, but he was pretty close, but not close enough, obviously. And and um, certainly that's where you would need to, I think, point the finger, which is kind of ironic because the guy's been brilliant since he joined. Uh, the first three games this season, he's been brilliant, but unfortunately today he had two two bad uh, phases of play, if you like. Michael might have told you this, uh, Paul, but we we are. I on Kamal Miller, and we're yeah. happy to Montreal pick him up. And yeah, we are too. Yeah, we, he develops there, uh, you know, and comes on leaps and bounds because, as we all know, uh, Canada needs some quality. Yeah. Um, for, for for me, I think uh, I think the, one of the key things you guys touched on is the the leg save, the the Montreal failing to score early. That that was the the turning point in the match for sure. And I agree with you guys as well. I think um, Dahomey was very clever in drawing that penalty. And clinical in, in how he finished it. Yes. Uh, it's nice to actually have a penalty taker here that knows how to take penalties. Yeah. yeah uh, uh, for me, the Dahomey penalty, it was, it's no difference. Like, you, you know how you mentioned that he slowed up? There's no difference between an attacking player putting their leg in front of a defender trying to clear the ball and then getting cluttered. That's, that's essentially what you have to do sometimes. Oh, yeah. I'm, like, I'm not yeah. knocking him for it. I think yeah. It's very clever. It's that kind that's of smart, like yeah. football IQ that's yeah. missing from a lot of players in MLS, especially the domestic guys. So, I mean, you need, you need that bit of cleverness to, to get this. I also agree with you that Montreal had some chances after, but aside from the, you know, the, the one that was called back, I mean, they weren't, like, they weren't taking their chances super well. Or they were half chances where they took an extra touch and they shouldn't have, they should have, you know, mm -hmm. taken it first time. Um, but uh, yeah, Vancouver, uh, took both their goals well, but the question, and I know I think Gemma asked it in, in the post game, like again, all the goals are from from set, set play. Yeah, and and, and I, in one sense, like yes, well, you know, I think of your your usual approach, Michael. Who cares? You're you you won the game. Who cares? You're accumulating points. Um, you know, when you look at the four games, but it has to be like a concern. And I know, Michael, you said when we were texting and stuff. You said, oh, you know, but it it came from some, you know. 
flowing build-up play, but that doesn't really matter. Th- those goals are both goals that if they're not dead dead ball situations, then they're not they don't happen. And so they have they have to be working at this. They have and Mark kind of in his answer did say yeah work at this. They they long to see this happen, but it's got to be at least a little bit concerning for them. Oh, it is. And they've been working big on set plays, and that's paid off. And like our, our good friend Slamo Stephen Lamoth tweeted at me that when I was asking, does it matter that we're not scoring? It gives the attack the chance to gel if they're getting these goals from elsewhere. If they weren't getting these set-piece goals, then it's very, very concerning. Dem- it's demoralising too for them. Yeah, it's also a case of your luck's going to run out. You're not going to score from set plays every single week because other teams are going to know how to defend that. But I mean, after that, there was a chance from oh. open play, Ryan Raposo. I, he could have done better, but Montreal, I think, defended that well. They closed that down really well. Yeah, and the thing is, the thing is, with the chances they had in open play, especially in the box, Montreal did a fantastic job of getting in those lanes and blocking those chances. There was no side, you know, sideways move to block the shot. It was like a full body block. That was Miller on the block, right? Wasn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah, it was Miller. I think it was Miller on the block with um, Caicedo earlier. I think it was Camacho on on. Uh... On Raposo, if I'm not mistaken. I you're, think it was Camacho. you're right, it was Camacho. Hey, Paul, um, why is Rudy Camacho still a, a player for Montreal? Do you want me to understand this? <laughs> yes, I do understand it. And and I've I've probably how many times have you asked that question? How yeah. many times have you asked that question? Yeah, lots. Yeah. Yeah, I've probably uh asked it lots plus a hundred times more than you. <laughs> okay. Because because he I mean, when you think about players, like individual players who either Win you matches, win you yeah. points, or lose you matches, lose yeah. you points. Like yeah. Rudy Camacho last year alone was really high on the he costs you game. So, do you know what he's 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 actually done well this season, right? And and this is anybody who knows me, I'll probably think that that's a pretty big statement, right? Um, he has done well in the four games this season, but um, you're right. The first season he came in, he didn't hit the ground running. He wasn't, he'd come from the lower reaches of the Jubilee League in Belgium. And he, I don't know what that league is like now. It used to be like 30 years ago, Michael, when, when we were watching European football, it was pretty decent. Mm. Um, it's obviously fallen away because he came into MLS and he was way off the pace. Last season, you're absolutely right. The, the games he cost us, the points he cost us, he cost us the Canadian Championship. Oh, yes. Um, I was already done with him. Uh, and, and not only in the incident in Vancouver, the, we, we were one each with uh, Toronto and Montreal as well and yes. in the last minute. And he gave the ball away and from a, from a free kick, a dead ball, absolutely no excuse. And um, for me, he probably shouldn't be at the club. But he got a three-year contract from Remy Gard, who... Um, there's a little town in France of 10,000 people called La Bresle. And Remy Gard was born there. And so was Rudy Camacho. Now, I'm just stating facts. I'm not saying anything. <laughs> I'm just stating facts. But he got a three-year contract um, at something like 800000 a year. So it's very, very hard to move a player like that on, as you can uh, oh, understand. Oh, we, we've and had I, guys like uh, that, Yes. So I think they've tried hard and haven't been able to do it. And, um, you know, they've, they've had to try and work with him. And like I say, he's done okay this season, fingers crossed, but you always feel the next mistake is just around the corner. So is this the third of the three years? So this is the last This year. is the third, yeah, this is the last year. Hallelujah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, after that, closing the game out, Kava was selfish, did well to win the ball, 
went in on goal. Mm. Could have cut it into Dahomey in the middle. I mean, I know guys were closing down, but that was the pass. Yeah. Not to have a shot. He was never yeah. going to score from there. But he's a striker. Yeah. I, yeah. <laughs> also, it's open play. So, we're, again, we were never going to score from there. Yeah. But yeah. I, I thought that was going to prove possibly costly when Montreal had the ball in the back of the net with two minutes to go. But then as soon as I saw the replay... I think it was offside, never mind Eric Cartado's handball. So, I mean, it was going to get chalked off for one of those two things. Uh, but, I mean, good old Eric. It was it was the right decision. But, I mean... Oh, he came on. He came on in the, in the post-match and said, look, yes, it was my arm. So, oh. he, he to- totally admitted it. So, well, yeah. What have you made of Cartado so far, Paul? He was a much uh, maligned figure here. I can understand that, I think. Um I don't know. I mean, he's he's a striker who's played something like 130 games in MLS and he's got 19 goals, right? So he's obviously not prolific. Um, he came on the first game against Toronto, uh, last 20 minutes, 25 minutes, set up a goal for um, Georgi Mihailovic. Um, and I thought, well, okay, maybe. But but I think he's just been brought in like as a as a bit player and as backup, and I think that's as good as it's going to get. Um, yes, he started the game last week and the reason why... He started the game last week, according to Will Nancy, was uh, I wanted pace up front rather than the height of um, Janssen. So when, when Toy wasn't available. So I suppose that's fair enough. But I, I don't I don't see that he's going to be a starter. I don't think he gives us enough, to be to be honest. I think he's what we used to call back home a bit of a trier. Yes. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that is something you'll get from him. Like he mm-hmm. will give everything he's got in every game. His his control used to be what let him down here. He's worked really hard on that. And I can't believe he's 30 now. It's like when mm. you find out that Eric Cartad is 30, you're like, wow, where has the years gone? Because I remember him coming here with Kakuta and they were the two young, fresh-faced guys. But he'll be he, a guy that will get you a few goals this year. I, I agree with you. He's as improved because I remember in his first few years, people used to compare who plays better at soccer uh, or Tato or Elephant. And there was a meme going around out there because he couldn't control the ball at all. Yeah. So that was, I think he has improved in that. And he, he, he can finish. And he, when he finishes, he gets some spectacular goals. So, I mean, I think he is a guy you need to bring off the bench. Yeah. Now, it, it was a funny it was a funny signing too because um, mm. Olivier Renard had come out and basically said, right, that's it. And and then about a week later, we that happened. So it was it was a bit of a strange one. Yeah, yeah I remember Eric's introductory press conference where he said it was a bit of a surprise to him because he had just signed a new deal mm-hmm. with, with Kansas City. So that, that that was a very weird one. Although some of your, in general, some of your off-season signings were especially weird, especially with knowing that Henri might move on, and then he did move on. It's like how much how much of this squad is well nonsense? Would you say, Paul? Well, I, I mean, it's a, it's Olivier Renard who goes out and makes the mm. signings, right? He does the recruitment. And you had a good chat with him a few weeks ago. And this guy's sitting watching, um, I can't remember the name of the program. I have it written down somewhere because I wanted to remember it. But he's sitting watching three games a night, um, a like Russian second division, Dutch second division, you name it, all over the place. And he, he's, he's scouting players. And the interesting yeah. thing about Janssen is while he was still doing the same job as a sporting director in Belgium, Belgium, Janssen was one player that he was following when he was playing for Den Haag in in, um, in Holland. And he tried to bring him to, I think it was Mechelen, 
only um, Alkmaar came in and signed him instead, and he went he went to Alkmaar in, in the Eredivisie. So the guy who's actually doing all the recruitment, and obviously it was done in conjunction with, he's working in tandem with, with Thierry Henry um, because he kept referring to that fact uh, in, in any of the press conferences after any of the signings. Um, so Jerry Henry had a had a say, had an input in the, the, the signings, but really the person who's going out and identifying these players um, is Olivier Renard. And he's done it very, very successfully at both Mechelen and Standard Liège. He's brought players in from, for very, very little money. Can't remember the name of the Romanian that he brought in to Standard Liège and he was sold on for 13 million euros. Um, so he's built a reputation doing this in Europe and that's what he's been brought in to, to Montreal to do, really bring in players at low cost, develop them, sell them on for profit, re-circulate re, uh, the money within the club to go out and, and sort of make new, more, more signings, etc. So um, we think what he's done in respect of uh, covering the position, covering the various different positions on the field uh, to give the coach flexibility is very, very good. But a lot of the players that he's brought in are unknown, so we're not quite sure about the quality. Yeah, We'll hear from the coaches in the next part of the show. But but just before you go, Paul, I just want to ask you a couple of last things. Where does this leave Montreal right now? I mean, it's early in the season. It's only four games in. You've got a couple of points on the board. You were unbeaten heading in, into this one. So, I mean, it's not that one defeat and the sky has fallen. It's against Western Conference opposition as well. So you've not exactly lost ground mm. that way. I mean, how do you feel the team is looking just now? What do you feel the team is needing to work on for the rest of the season? And are you needing some fresh faces in there already? I, I think the team still has a, a pre-season look because they didn't really have a pre-season. And, and I think the problem is they, they have looked quite stable um, at the back most of the time. Uh, not No, that's probably not exactly true. The last couple of games have looked quite stable at the back. Although... You know, today, once you guys got the second goal, it, it, the game could have run away from Montreal, I yeah. thought, at that stage. Although they did kind of rally and, and try to get back into the game. But I could see That's you guys our breaking strength. Away. It's yeah. like when we get a two-goal lead, you're forcing the other team to open right. up. And then right. we've got guys with pace that will just tear defences to pieces. Yeah. They just yeah. can't finish. I think the problem is really between the midfield and the, you know, the forwards at the minute. It's just not really clicking and and um i you know i think that sort of chemistry needs to be allowed time to develop and they probably just haven't had enough at this stage um i i don't think there's a there's a need for them to start going out and and looking for a whole batch of new players again i think they've got to allow these guys to gel because remember even when they were doing pre-season a lot of these guys were away with the under 23 team at the olympic qualifying there were guys away with canada there were guys over in yeah. europe as well uh uh, Janssen was away with uh, Norway and somebody else in Europe, name escapes me. But, you know, the, the, the squad was decimated even for pre-season. And, and then they got two pre-season games in with a sp- within a space of four days. And then a week later or six days later, they were into the first game of MLS. So Yeah, just like a, us. Yeah, I know. I, I think it's a little bit harsh to, to judge at this stage or say anything sensationalist. But... Um, you know, another couple of defeats and, and our next games against Inter Miami, which is where we play our home games. <laughs> so, oh, I mean, 
Yeah. Yeah, that's going to be an interesting one. And and I can't remember who we play the following week. But you know, another two defeats, it's not going to look good. But you know, I, I'm I'm hopeful that that's that's not going to happen. So um I think that's the thing with Montreal. While it hasn't happened yet, you remain hopeful, but you never feel that confident either, right? So how confident are you that they are a playoff team this year? Or do you think it's going to be a struggle? I know Olivier Renard thinks that that they they have a chance. I think if they get into the playoffs, they'll get in in that last spot probably. Um, I, I don't think they're going to go into the playoffs comfortably or make it with two games to spare. I think probably what's going to happen is they'll be part of the scramble at the end and they'll just miss out. That's that's my hunch anyway. Um, but you know what? I, will that be progress from last year? I, I guess we finished ninth last year and got into the playoffs, but finishing ninth and getting into the playoffs is, is being over-rewarded, if you ask me. Yes. So, so like everyone in by that point. It's- yeah. So so maybe if they finish if they just miss out in the playoffs, you're probably looking at ninth again, which is exactly the same as last season. But I do think the squad is better. And I think the squad will develop and I think we'll see a better Montreal as the season progresses. I'm not sure if they're going to make playoffs though. I mean, first two games of the season I've enjoyed watching them and there was certainly flashes today where they've got an exciting look to them. Last thing then to ask you and then we'll let you go. I know you've maybe not seen all the games, but you obviously saw it today mm. and you've seen mm. some of the other highlights and stuff. What have you made of Vancouver so far? I think you're you're, you're very much a work in progress too. And I, I think I look, I look at your two guys up front and I think they're, well, maybe Dahomey doesn't always play that position. I'm not sure, but... Yeah, he can play winger or he can play up front, but last week was the only game he's played on the wing and he wasn't as effective. Up front, and- he's like looking quite deadly. Yeah, they both looked a handful today. And, you know, you were talking earlier about uh, Cavallini and, you know, picking up the yellow cards. I, I actually love his physicality. And you you being a, a good Scotsman probably understand that, oh, right? I do too. It's just an MLS. <laughs> it's an absolute nightmare. It's almost to me, and, and don't get me wrong or don't take this wrong, but it's almost to me that the MLS referees don't understand that aspect of the game if you like and i know it's all cleaned up in the uk as well yeah uh from that respect but oh, maybe no, not, not as scottish much. league one yeah or, or, <laughs> or the irish league either by the way but um yeah so i i think he maybe cuts a raw deal sometimes in in, in those types of situations but i think those two guys are a handful up front um i like the look of casado and um Alessandra, is it you, you yeah. pronounce it? Uh, I, I, I like the look of him as well today. I think you probably need a, a little bit of work at the, a, 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 at the back line. And Nervinsky, I thought, was uh, a little bit ropey today. And I thought that's maybe where we could win the game. But um, yeah, I think so there's, somebody, there's somebody sitting on the bench waiting to come in and take that position, right? Yeah. Yeah, Bruno Gaspar will be the starter once he's up yeah. to speed. That centre-back pairing... You're probably going to have Eric Godoy in there instead of Andy Rose beside Ranko with Derek Cornelius as well. And then maybe Ali Adnan come in, mm. in at left back if he ever comes yeah. over yeah. the border, which we don't know. But yeah, that, that back line's very much a work in progress. So it's, it's nice to get a kind of a, a neutral view of, of what, what you've made of us. But, but I do love your goalkeeper and not because he's a yes. Montrealer. Um, I, I just think he's one of the best goalkeepers in the league and um, I think you're lucky to have him you're, you've got him because of a situation at Montreal a few years ago when he yeah. couldn't push his way into the team when he probably deserved the chance and um, you know what he's, he's gone gone to Vancouver he's taken his chance and and you know what good luck to him he's, he's a good keeper um, yeah, but I, he's I, I ours think you, now 
Huh? Uh, is that all Irish? Yes, I, I know, but I, I think you, you guys could be, could be a potential playoff team. But again, I think it's going to be sneaking in in the last spot, probably. Yeah, I, I think you could be right. Well, thank you so much for for joining us for this, Paul. We don't often get a chance to have the the away reporters all on our show because yeah. of the, the time of the games and stuff. But just let everyone know where they can find your stuff online. I, and you haven't mentioned Glenn Torren, which I was expecting would get mentioned several times during this. So if you want to give no, them a and, shout and out to... Do you know, I watched two games last week and it was Glenn Torren and uh, who were they playing last week? I can't remember. But we get the Irish League games on live now and streaming um, because there's oh. no crowds at the games. So they, they're all streamed. So I watched Glenn Torren last week, nil-nil. And then I watched Montreal last week, nil-nil. Watching Glen Torn today and it was nil-nil was like 60 minutes and I thought, here we go again. But they <laughs> left one 1-0 in the Irish Cup, so they're into the quarterfinals, so I'm happy about that. Um, so there's my Glen Torn mention. But you can find me on Paul Van, at PaulVance63 on Twitter. Um, you can find our um, podcast uh, Twitter page at uh, TBIR Montreal. And um, that's where we are. That's great. I highly recommend checking out Paul's podcast. I, I said this to the guys when I was recording it with them last week. I, it's the most fun I've had doing a podcast. Out with our own, obviously, but of course. Uh, it, it was a lot of fun. It's a great show, so definitely check that out. So thanks for joining us, Paul, and hopefully hopefully we get to play you more than, than once a season at, at some yeah. point going forward. Get that old rivalry going again. Fingers crossed there's going to be a Canadian Championship, so who knows? You never know. Yeah. Well, that's it for this part. We will be back hearing from the coaches and getting their thoughts on the game and delving into some more Whitecaps chat after this. Hi, I'm Mark Dos Santos and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. Welcome back to the AFT and Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, the vocals from a guy that you will know as being regularly played on the show in his various sort of guises. We've featured him in Art Brute. We've featured him with Gur. This is one of his side project bands from 1998. The band is called Everybody is in the French resistance now and I thought that's a good band to play since the Whitecaps kept a clean sheet against Montreal Impact no, sorry, against CF Montreal today I thought I was going to go the whole show without mentioning Impact and I slipped up and that was not even intentional Yeah, you you slipped up in the previous part too Oh, did I? (laughs) 
I didn't I didn't bring it up, but you said impact, but it wasn't it was used as a verb. Not oh yeah, oh yes, because it's when I I asked Will Nancy during the week. I said, "Do you feel that the altitude will have an impact on this game?" And I thought, "Is he going to think I'm taking the piss here?" But I I genuinely just meant impact. Let, let the record show for Steve that this was an ultra clean sheet. It was. Yes, it was. And it was a big save too. Now, the, the song that we played there was G-I-R-L-F-R-E-N, Girlfriend. Because all the songs on Everybody's in the French Resistance Now only album was their reposts to various songs that have been recorded over the years. So that was their reply to Avril Lavigne's song, Girlfriend. So keeping a little bit of the Canadian connection there. Fun fact, well, fun to me, I actually went to see Everybody is in the French Resistance now in Portland after the Whitecaps played a midweek game against the Timbers down in Portland. I headed along to the venue. There was 12 of us in attendance for that gig. Five of them were from the support band. Four of them were friends of the support band. And there was me and another couple that had turned up to see the band. I felt really, really bad for them. But I did get a chance to speak to Eddie Argos at that gig. Not that he'll remember, because he was hammered out of his head. But it, it, was a, it was a good show. They were a good band, but they are no more. Much like Montreal's chance of making the playoffs this season. Maybe not. But if they, if they play like they did today uh, against the Whitecaps, I think it could be a struggle for Montreal to get it into the East. Thanks so much to Paul for joining us in that last part. So you heard our thoughts on the game. I'm going to play you some audio now from both head coaches after the match. First of all, we're going to hear from CF Montreal's Wilfried Nancy, and then we're going to hear from the other guy from Quebec, Marc DeSantis. Obviously, everybody wants to talk to you about the lack of goals. Is it is it making things too simple to suggest that that the offense has has fallen apart without Mason Toy and and how disappointed were you today with the effort of uh, Bjorn Johnson? Well, you know, we've uh, this is a collective uh, situation. You know, we have a lot of forwards. We are, we are, yeah, we have a lot of forwards, and uh, they know that their job is to score. But again, this is not only the forwards. And uh, for the moment, we, yes, we struggle a bit in front of the nets, but again, we had a, a couple of uh, chances. And for me, this is the most important because if we don't have chances, uh, yes, I'm going to be very upset about the situation, but we have a lot of chances. So now we have to be better in front of the net, but again, we're going to work on that. And uh, this is not about Mason or Bjorn or all the forward. This is all about the fact that the player who are in front of the net should be able to to finish the the action. But again, yeah, we struggle a bit for the moment, but uh, I stay confident. Look, I, I thought you were actually getting on top towards the end of the first half, and you, you started the second half quite brightly as well. Uh, and then the penalty happened and it changed everything. Is that how you saw it too? I, I think you went through maybe 10, 15 minutes after the penalty when you conceded the second goal as well. And that was a bad, obviously a bad time in the game for you. Yeah, it was a bad timing. I was not very happy with the first half because we didn't do what we usually do with the ball in terms of movement, in terms of uh, uh, try to, to gain speed a little bit better. So we started to, de- to do it around the 30 minutes in the first half. 
and um, had a good talk with the player and they started well the second half and we were able to control the game and uh, this goal happened. And um, for me, the, sec- the first goal was okay, means that I was not, uh, I-, I knew that we have a lot of time again and the second goal came too early. But again, I think that we had uh, a couple of chances to finish and to come back, but um, we didn't do it uh, today. Hey, Mark. That was a, a, a good day at the office, uh, I guess. 2-0 win, clean sheet. Just what's your initial thoughts on, on what you saw today? Look, we knew coming in that every ball lost, every mistake in the midfield would lead to very dangerous transitions. And I think that uh, in the first half, every time we defended set, uh, we were able to contain them. Uh, we were able to... Um, to take care of the th- of the things in the right way, but then uh, when we lost balls in, in in some spots, they were dangerous, and that's Montreal. They have fast players. They have some guys with quality that could hurt you in transition. Um, in the second f- uh, half, what we did a little bit better is contain a little bit more these transition moments, and we were dangerous in transition. We were able to play some balls in good spaces, be fast attacking their goal, uh, and that's how we got the place for the goal. The first one is a transition that leads to a foul on Dajo, and he takes well the penalty shot. The other one is a ball one, and Caio plays a great ball to Daber. Daber puts the cross on the ground, leads for the corner kick that um, where we scored the second goal. You know, it wasn't a perfect game, far from that. Um, but it was a game where the guys fought, kept a good energy, kept a good mentality, and a great answer after our game against Colorado, where we felt we could have um, got points from there. I asked you about this in one of the other games earlier this season, and, and you didn't fully agree with me about it when I said it, but it, it feels like... All the games this season, it's been a really slow first half. There's like a little bit of a lack of intensity or they seem a little bit flat. It felt like that again today. Is that by design or is it just... No, 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 no. It's something that we have to work on and be better at. I, You don't design getting in flat and I and I don't tell the guys, guys, let's, let's be flat in the first half and react in the second well, I think we do still a good job reading what happens in the first half and uh, trying to address that. Um, but look, I think that the important uh, is that we did, at the end of the day, I think we deserved the, the three points. We were the team that deserved it. And it wasn't a perfect first half. Uh, again, offensively, we have to grow in our ideas uh, when we're set in possession. Um, but uh, the second half was was a good reaction for our, from our guys, a good attitude. Um, we deserve the three points. We're, we haven't seen a goal from open play yet. Um, is that you talked about wanting to grow offensively? Is that something that you're looking at with your group going forward? We are, we are. It's something that we speak about every week. We try to be better. We try to to run plays in training. Right now, some characteristics of our players lead for us to be more dangerous in transition moments. We want to grow in the open play, but we work other areas of our game that are important. The team conceded three goals in four games. Uh, We played four teams that all made the playoffs in MLS in uh, 2020. 
um, and we got goals. Uh, so, of course, we want to be better in open play uh, and add to what we do on set plays, but it's going to take work and we have to keep pushing and, and looking at the video to try to improve. So the gaffers there, just chatting a bit about the, the game there. It was interesting to hear Paul say that Nancy didn't feel that worried, Steve, after going one goal down. He thought his team had enough to, to get back into it. As soon as the Whitecaps went one up, I was pretty confident about that. Well, I think that they, they might have seen, uh, maybe he has a better read on the team, his team that... They, once they go goal down, they'll open up a little bit more and show a little bit more. And and there were chances that they had; they just weren't able to finish them. Um, uh, because the Whitecaps are never shown to be able to protect the lead; they're not known for that. So I don't think I think Nancy probably had uh, a good idea to have good ho- like hopes for his team and and coming back. But yeah, I agree with you that once they got the Whitecaps got that goal, especially the second one, and then the, that that really sealed the deal. And the thing is, is with the Whitecaps is while they don't defend good uh, or defend well, when the team is push, puts pressure on them, they're able to break them down on the counter. Yeah, I mean, once they got that two-goal lead, I, I wasn't worried at all. I, I think if Montreal had hit back pretty quickly after, it would have been a, a very interesting end of the game. It would have been interesting to see what MDS did with his subs. Now, the sub he did make, Zach, was he, he brought on... Derek Cornelius to kind of shore up that back line, have five across the back. He was asked about it post-game and he said, yeah, it's good. If we're going five at the back to see out a game, that's a good sign because it means they've basically got the job done. And I'm all for that. If you feel you've got a two-goal lead and you're just trying to see out the game, get five defenders on there. That's the kind of like tactical side of the game that I I like. Focal say it's defensive. I don't care. Just see the game out, get those points. I was literally thinking about you when he said that, Michael. Because like there are people are gonna like Michael who'll be like, who, "Yeah, exactly. Just win the game. Who cares? Doesn't matter what it looks like." And yeah, on, on, on one level, I agree with you. On another level, it it it, it shows again where the Vancouver Whitecaps are as a as an organization. Right? They're in a get what you can, scrap, get through, hold on type. They're not in a. This is not. They don't have an identity that they're gonna play out the game, you know, in that identity, no, no matter what. Right. Like, and, and, and maybe you could say not a lot of clubs around the world are like that. And that's a fair critique, but um, yeah, on one hand it's, it's wise. On another hand, you wish that they were maybe a little bit further along than, you know, hoping to have to play five, five at the back of the game. I mean, they're not having to, to play in front of fans and entertain them and have that pressure on them either. So, I mean, I, I'm all for that. Now we touched on it in the first part, we'll just delve a little bit more into it just now, which is the struggles from open play. Every single goal this year has come from a set piece. Now, the the question I posed, just for fun really, on Twitter was, do you really care if you're getting the goals from set pieces? Now, if we win every game 1-0 and it's through a set piece goal, I'm delighted by that. I know others won't be and others want to see more attacking and getting things converted. As long as they're going in, Steve, surely that's all that that matters. But as I said in the first part, 
it's maybe not sustainable to look to yeah. get that every game. I look at it as though I don't I don't care if they score from uh, from set pieces in the past, but for the future they need to uh, 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 like have more chances from open play. Yeah, it's, the open play chances are helping create the set goals, but you can't expect their goal uh, goals to go in, and you can't expect to be going up against um, like teams that maybe don't defend very well. Mm. On set piece, not everybody defends poorly on set pieces. Yeah, not everyone's going to let Dahomey rise unchallenged with about four or five guys around them. Yeah, like the th- the the ones they've got corners from, I believe, have been Portland, Toronto, and Montreal. And the team they lost against Colorado does defend set pieces well. Yes. So that's there's a difference right there. So you, well, yeah, you, because Colorado's struggles had been with guys running at them, and against yeah. us, they didn't have that issue at all, which is because of our problems from from open play. Yeah, it's just a matter of gelling. Like I'm sure that one, but the thing is, the chances they had from open play, there were some excellent build up today, um, and I because uh, compared to last week, and I thought a lot had to do with the lineup again that we we did talk much about in the first half. Uh, first part, sorry, uh, but the lineup went back to where it was before. Yes, uh, Alexander for Belisimo, like we talked about last week, and I think that played a huge part because Alexander is very good at a deeper line position instead of being forced to be up, and the Hobie is back into being straight on at the defense instead of being up from wide. Yeah, it was one of the first things we noticed on the the, the people I was watching the game with Steve. That was one of the first comments. It was the switch, not just not just the fact that Tybert was in playing wide left in front of Gutierrez. It was like one of the one of the guys uh, on our on our, on our chat said it was that they almost were inverted for yeah. large portions at the beginning of the game where Gutierrez was pushed up the field and Tybert was dropped back covering as left back. Yeah, and I agree with you that that made a I think made a significant uh, impact for them in the game, and uh, and it was good to see that the coaching staff was also able to to recognize that because I think I think it's true that that made a like that was a really uh, a really important tactical uh, choice that they made. I also I like what you said, Steve, too, because I think MDS is of the same mind. It doesn't matter about the goals you got in the past from set plays, but yeah, in the future, you have to be working towards getting goals not only from set plays, but also from the, from the run of play. And I think one of the things that I guess maybe is an upside to some of these goals is um, like, for example, like it's, it's, I mean, if they were all coming from like free kicks from different, you know, from the same spot or even different spots, it's one thing. But I mean, I guess two or three of the goals are from corners, right? And like, yeah, with some pinpoint delivery from yeah. Caicedo. And you're gonna get corners in games, so those those goals or or how they're running those plays. And I mean, today it felt like Montreal did nothing to defend on the on the on the corner, but. Uh, well, I mean, to say that though, like Vancouver forced a lot of corners in the first half and didn't yeah. do anything with it. Yeah, but but those corner goals, at least so far, feel a little more replicable than 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 maybe some of the you know the free kick stuff, and um, that's what you really want. I mean, if you're a coach, you want you know replicable uh, plays that you can score from. And so right now for Vancouver, that's that's set pieces. And so uh, I think in one sense, as much as it it's not a good story, it's they don't like that narrative out there of like we, they haven't scored from set plays, they haven't scored from set plays. I think uh, on the other side, they're like, as coaches, I also think amongst themselves anyway, they're like, we're killing it at set plays. We're killing it at corners. We need yeah. to be doing what we're doing at the, on those and, and increase it from the open play. 
And I remember a couple of years ago when uh, Robbo was in charge and everybody was complaining there were no goals from set plays and they were all from open plays. So it was, this is the complete opposite of that. Oh, yeah. Football fans complain about everything. It's like that's yeah. that's that's in our job description, I, I personally feel. But like, we touched on Kyle there, so let, let's talk about him. Yeah, I was delighted to see him drop back into that deeper lying role. That is what he's been brought in for. Mark talked midweek about the fact that it was kind of, he maybe wasn't felt that he had enough in his tank to go box to box in that first game. So they thought they would try and, and, and put him up top. It didn't work last week. I, I thought he was good today. Nothing flashy. But Tybert, I mean, we talked in the last part about Hurtado being much maligned. Tybert is as well. But you do know what you get from him. And I, I like him in that left midfield role for now. Obviously, it's not my ideal long-term solution there. But because of the fact that he does drop back and he lets Gutierrez get forward. And Gutierrez's worst game was against Colorado. Maybe because he didn't have Tybert in front of him. So you can look at things like that. But Alejandra, what did, what did you make of him today, Steve? He looked a lot more settled. We saw him in his proper role, and I, I think it's going to be a good acquisition for us. And when he really gets settled into the environment, some of the passes he's already sprayed about have, have been great. Yeah. Um, the thing, yeah, I, I, I like this play today. You're right, 100%, that he's in his familiar role uh, where he can't push up from the thing. Even last week, I think, uh, while they said that he might not have been able to get as much out of the box-to-box, I think... 50 to 60 minutes would have been better than uh, playing or seeing him play up top. And I think I'm agree that I'd rather see like this week, I think it was 80 minutes. He played about 80 ish. Um, so that, that is better to see 80 minutes from that position than to try to play up there and get a full game out of him. Um, I'd like the, uh, the, the one thing I'll say about this with the lineup they currently have right now. Um, I know they're planning on bringing a number 10 at this point, if they continue with this lineup, I'm thinking that maybe they don't bring in a pure 10, uh, like we've always been clamoring. Maybe it's better to bring a, a box-to-box who can play like a 10, and that might be a better fit or something like that, or a 10 who can play a box-to-box, either way, either which way. But somebody, it's a kind of hybrid uh, because it might fit better with the lineup they currently have if they're going to stick with this lineup throughout the whole year. Mm. I don't know how that would play just because they've yeah. talked so much about I, the 10, if they don't deliver that 10. No, what I'm saying is a guy who... Oh, no, I get you. 10, yeah, but, but... I mean, I don't think that's the worst ten. thing to do either, but it's like, yeah. I just don't think it would play well with well, the fans. Well, as long as they advertise him as a 10. <laughs> I mean, what, what did you make of Kyle so far, Zach? Yeah, I agree with what Steve said. Uh, I, I didn't like. I didn't think he was outstanding, but um, like go, especially going forward. But again, I don't think that was his what he was really called to do today. And the bigger impact of him going into that position was, like you said earlier when we were talking to Paul, I think, Michael, is moving Dahomey from the wing to up top where he created yeah. problems. And uh, both, you know, obviously from, you know, the, the penalty and from the corner, but also in the run of play, he created problems and um, really helped, helped the attack today. It, so much more from the middle with a partner than from the wing with you know with a lone striker so i think that was i think that was the the it was like a double double impact you know for uh, for caillou it was the you, you know, can't get away from the word impact can i you? know him solidifying the middle of the field and also making them more uh kind of lethal and and uh up up top i i think i mentioned this on one of the the earlier shows possibly the 
the preview for the, the season show, there was a Montreal journalist that asked a question and he said the word impact. And it's like, oh, sorry, I didn't mean to say that. And it's like, it's still a word you can use. It's still the right word to use so, for certain things. So I'll give you a few um, uh, effect, influence, uh, have an effect, have an influence. Uh, so just a couple of thesaurus ah, things. There, someone's there's got just, a thesaurus up here. Yeah, if, <laughs> I just thought I'd look it up just for you guys, just for uh, future, if you ever need to. I think we should also <laughs> impact the whole episode. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I might. I might just call this show "Making an Impact." <laughs> now, talking at the homie, then um, on the who scored ratings, got a staggering eight point eight out of ten. Two goals is going to do that for you with with the ratings, but two goals earning a penalty that helps you. He he was good, and I I pegged him at the start of the season, to get double digits. I, I was really confident he would. The fact that he's our penalty taker helps as well. Three goals so far, he would obviously be on course for double digits, but he's looked a more dangerous guy so far from our attack, even more than Kava. Did you did you guys see when, uh, during the broadcast, TSN put up uh, three goals, equaling his 2020 totals? Did you see that? <laughs> no. Yeah, I three as many goals as he did last year. I I remember. I think I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. I said I think this is going to be his last year. The Whitecaps because I think he's going to Europe uh, next year. Yeah, I think you, I made that in prediction. Yeah, and and I think that double digit goal and the way he's playing right now, people are keeping an eye on him. Oh, definitely. Uh, without the service he's getting and the way he's producing, the way he's driving play, I think he's the biggest driver of the play right now in the attack for the Whitecaps. I mean, the the genuine exciting thing for me with this team, and I've said it for a couple of weeks now, once this attack is fully clicking with a midfield creative side to back them up, this is one of the most exciting attacks in Western Conference, maybe all at MLS. I genuinely believe it's it's got the ability to do that. When they're on their game, the way that they move the ball, they've got pace, they can like switch in and out of positions, they, they all bring different things to it. You've got Kava's physicality, you've got the pace of the guys... They could do a lot of damage. We need to get that creative spark. And a number 10 will help that. But while we don't have the number 10, we've got to address how we get that creative spark. And part of it, and this is something that I asked MDS and I asked Max Cripo as well, and we touched on it in the first part. The Four games this year, all four games, I genuinely feel they've been really flat in that first half. Now, in three of the games now, they've turned it on the second half and they've got points out of them. They couldn't do it against Colorado or Colorado wouldn't let them do it. Now, when when I said to, to Mark, I think it was in the TFC game that I felt the first half was a, a bit kind of poor and lacklustre. He didn't agree, but he certainly agreed today that they need to, to work on that. When I asked, asked Max Cripeau, he just said, good question. And then he paused, and I thought he was going to add to that, but that, that was the end of it. So obviously they know something's not right in the middle of the park. What do you make of these first-half performances? Why are they just lacking some intensity? I, I, I think it was really telling in the post-game interviews um, that the coach was kind of defensive and said, no, I, you know, or well, a little bit defensive maybe, and said, no, uh, you know, we, we don't, we know we're not coming out this way on purpose and yeah, maybe we could have a little bit more. And then when you ask Max Crapo about it, the one who sees everything in front of him and how, yeah. 
And uh, his entire response to your question was, I think you just said good question, right? Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. It, I mean, it is, it is, uh, it is a little bit, it's a, at least a little bit concerning because you, you can't come out that way in matches and always recover. Right. Um, you, you know, you can't, uh, you can't have low intensity and always crescendo in a match. And so they're, they are going to need to change that. And, I, I don't know the factors. I don't know if it's them still getting used to be playing at altitude in Rio Tinto or, or whatever, but uh, they, they are going to need to to change that and, and be able to, especially on the road, like think about road games, right? Well, yeah. Cause remember three of these four games have been at home in inverted yeah. commas so far. Yeah. Cause it's, it's, a, it's a better, it's a better home for, it's a better home venue right now for them than RSL. Cause they got more wins at RSL than, yeah. Uh, it's better than BC places been. I would just keep us down there, to be honest. But, <laughs> but no, like usually when you go on a road, you you talk to players and coaches, and they often feel more freedom to kind of go at it because they're not trying to impress anyone at home. Like yeah, I mean the, the danger though as well of starting slow and then just only turning it on the second half is some teams you'll be will be out of sight by half time if you do that. Like Montreal probably should have been two 0 up at half time. I feel. They should definitely have got the, the one that Johnson missed, and I think Kyoto could have done better with the one that he flashed past the post. So, I mean, they could easily have, have been up at half-time, and I don't know then that we have what it takes to get back into matches. Yeah, and that is a real, real concern. If they continue, you know, as they have in whatever, three of these the four matches so far. But that is it for our, our chat about that game. We've got a busy week coming up. There's two more matches to come against Western Conference opposition and both of them will be played in front of fans. And we'll be back chatting about that after this. Hi, I'm Maxim Kipo from the Vancouver Whitecaps and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. A woman walking down the street With a son and a daughter It was oh so sweet When mummy turned to daddy And she said, my dear Write out your will Because the end is near Then she pulled out the gun I saw the sparks Messed up the suit That he Bought from Marks because she'd heard the voices from outer space. She'd heard the voices from outer space. She'd heard the voices from outer space. Saying never trust a man with egg on Welcome back to the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio, 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, it's our Artist of the Month for me here at AFTN, going way back to 1979. It's Adam and the Ants, and that was a song from their debut album. Before they found the face pain and the kind of tribal drumming sound that they had, they were kind of a 
coming out of punk, post-punk band, and that was their song Never Trust a Man with Egg on His Face, based on a true story that they read in the newspaper about a mother killing her husband and children because the aliens had told her to do so. Lifting the mood here at AFTN. Let's lift the mood some more by looking ahead to what the Whitecaps have in store this coming week. Because there's two games coming up. Now, we're not obviously going to delve into preview both of them because the midweek guys will be back previewing the SKC game and talking about the, the outcome of the Minnesota game. But first up is Minnesota. Now, we are recording this on Saturday afternoon. So it's before the Minnesota United, the Loons, have played Colorado Rapids. Let's just assume they've lost because I think they will. But it's going to be a tough one for them. It's been a really poor start to the season for Minnesota. This feels like the Whitecaps are going to Minnesota with a real chance of getting something from this one. What are you expecting from this one, Steve? Uh, my uh, my hope is that they actually uh, the Minnesota uh, wins against Colorado only ah. because I don't want to face a, a, a more upset Minnesota team. I'd rather them win against Colorado, have their guard down again, and then lose against Vancouver. That's the hope. Uh, so that that uh, so a loss against Colorado, I think, doesn't bode well for uh, the Whitecaps. Uh, but I think they have a chance. It all depends on. Because they've had so many people missing from their lineup uh, in the in the first few games, I just don't know what uh, the timeline is for people coming back. So it's for me, it's really up in the air. Uh, the one advantage is that the Whitecaps have a little bit of a head start in recovering uh, from the weekend game, and also yeah. both teams are traveling from basically the same area. Uh, one's going to be traveling from Colorado and ours, and the other from Utah. So there's not much travel issues there either. So there is a chance. I agree with you, Steve, that it's not a big travel thing, but it is still something that the Whitecaps have only so far in 2021 traveled to one away game. And with mm-hmm. the world be still being different, like I don't know how much that Im- impacts them because yeah. maybe that was an impact in the, in the in the Toronto game, them not taking all the points. but Influence. Um, Influence. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I, because uh, I, I'd imagine they're not traveling overnight and staying like they like to do for this one as well. I would be thinking that they're going to be flying in in the morning into it. Yeah, who knows? I think the bigger the bigger thing for me is how many changes uh, is Mark DeSantis going to make? Yeah, because th- there's going to be changes. Because there's the, this game on Wednesday, Kansas City on Sunday. And it's Sunday morning, our time. So kind of another early afternoon kickoff on on Sunday against KC. So there's definitely going to be changes. But as you say, Zach, how many I mean, how, how many would you make? Where would you tinker? Uh, this is a good question. I, I, like, I, I know the Whitecaps like to talk about their potential in FIFA. So I'll just talk about how, like when Kirk and I play FIFA together, uh, we, we're, we, do a, we have a couple of different things on the go, but one of them is a, a joint season where we play, you know, one plays until either there's a goal or a halftime whistle and then we switch and so we're playing against the computer. Oh, nice. It was a lot of fun. But so when we're doing that, we like to have our teams fresh. Like, and we like to build a squad that is like incredibly deep. Um, and so, and you can do that when you're playing with Bayern Munich. So we, we, uh, <laughs> sadly, Mark DeSantis isn't. No, but we, but what we like to do is we, we like to have players who are like 90% fit or more in the game, right? And they have a fitness level. And so, we, we essentially, 
when we're playing midweek game cup games or champions league or, or, or even, you know, weekday league games, we literally rotate the whole squad because we want like always to have, we want players who are able to run because we like to press and we like to, it, we, you know, we don't like to have players who are tired out on the pitch. So, um, Mark DeSantis is not, I don't see Mark DeSantis doing that. I don't see him making uh, 10 changes of the outfield players, but there has to be like a good, I'd say, I don't know, three changes at, at the bare minimum. Like the over under is maybe three or four on the number of changes they're going to make. So make it maybe make the over under three and a half, I guess. Um, because Gaspar has to start it right back. We didn't. Yeah, I feel that. I, th- I liked how Paul said it. Uh, I don't know what the exact translation or the meaning is, but he called Narinsky ropey. And yeah, Naritsky was a was definitely the weak link uh, in 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 the in the defense of the Whitecaps in this game, and Gaspar hopefully is uh, not gassed and able to to at least start and give you know 60, 70, 80, 90 minutes. Um, so he's got to be in there. I think Crepeau, he has to surely start one of these two. Yeah. I think Crepeau's not going to not obviously not going to change, but then I, I could see a second change in the back line, and it could see DC replacing ideally Andy Rose. Yeah, I, I could see that happening. Uh, Go- Guti, I don't think is going anywhere. I think Ranko's safe. And then in the middle of the park, if, if Wosu came on today, if he's good to go, like you could see him replacing Bikel. Be- or, uh, I don't know, Baldissimo, he's fit, right? He got a knock. Right. And then he but, started, and then he got another he, knock. But he should be back training on Monday, Mark said. Yeah, he, uh, Mark said he was day-to-day. So, yeah. yeah. So, um, but so said it could only been day-to-day for about five years, it feels. Yeah. Owosu, so Owosu, I think for sure, uh, you know, based on the fact that he came in today's game, I think he'll come in. The other person who I think could come in, or the other two people who I think are options are Raposo wide and um, and to St. Ricketts, I think needs mm. to see significant minutes in this game, whether it's starting or coming in at like a hard 60 or something. I think he's got to get a run out, unless there's something we don't know about. Or, you know, DeSantis has talked this year about like a Theo Bear not doing well in training and therefore not earning his place. So unless it's like that kind of situation for, for DeSaint Ricketts, he needs to like see some minutes because for the betterment of the team, it's not just a, uh, it's not just a, just a rotation. We got to rotate. So we got to get someone in. It's also about, you want these players who are not in your prime ideal starting 11, you want them to get, uh, some opportunities so that when you do need to call upon them, when the, when the players go away with Canada, when there's injuries or, you know, a, a few uh, uh, injuries or, or sickness in the team or whatever, and a few guys are dropped, they, they're ready to go. They're not like, Oh, we haven't seen this player for more than five minutes this year. So I think those are the four, the, the four to five guys I could see making, making uh, the, the starting 11 this week. For me, it's up to five guys uh, that could come out, uh, whether it's um, against Minnesota or Sporting. Uh, Jake would be one. Andy Rose would be another. We'll put Derek Cornelius in that spot. Owosu would take either Bikel or Alexander. Um, I think Casido. I don't see him playing all th- like this today, uh, midweek and next week, all of them. Mm. Uh, because he, he's he just at starting. least got taken off, so he got a little bit yeah. of rest. But there was only yeah. two subs today. Which yeah. makes you wonder... Three. There were he... three subs. Oh, yeah, there was one late on. Yeah. Makes you wonder um, whether he was running some of the guys into the ground, maybe knowing that they weren't going to go on Wednesday. You asked and, him, he said and, no. Yeah. And the other guy I would see would be Cavallini. Cavallini would be the guy I would see take uh, taking a break somewhere in, in there, um, either in the Minnesota or Sporting. He, 
Actually, before I ask this question I was going to ask, let me just play a little bit from Mark DeSantis. Just as Zach mentioned, I asked him about that after the game and and what the squad rotation might look like for these two games. Here's, Here's what he had to say about that. It's obviously a, a busy nine-day period coming up. You, you've got these two big games coming up now midweek and, and next Sunday. How difficult is it going to be to kind of manage the team? You only made a couple of substitutions today. Was was that with a kind of eye on what's coming up on Wednesday to kind of keep some guys to maybe be a bit fresher? Michael, I'll be honest with you. Everybody is working very hard in training and uh Sometimes the the starting team uh, has a hard time with the guys that don't start as much. Uh, There's quality in in the roster and uh, there's a lot of competition. They just have to be ready. What I think is important to do in this league is to really go game by game. Um, And we managed uh, the substitution thinking about this game and thinking about how do we get three points against Montreal. To look too much ahead, in, in football or in life, um, I don't think it's a good thing, you know. Uh, and I, I think it was important for us to manage the game now. And everybody's really motivated in the roster. Everybody's ready to go. Uh, everybody's excited to play. And we just have to be, um, we just have to be ready. Uh, and I think that now we do have two important games coming up, Wednesday in Minnesota. Uh, Saturday in Kansas City and of course that uh, the guys cannot go and play the three games in a row so um, the depth and other options in the roster are going to be important. So that was Mark DeSantis there talking uh, about what squad rotation that there might be and that I think there will definitely be some. Now yeah was it Michael before the audio you met uh, Zach was wondering what ropey meant. Um, Good old UK word. uh, It means quality is poor or unsatisfactory. Yes. Makes sense. I think that's fair to say. I mean, I I agree with what you guys have said. I mean, I, I think Gaspar has to start one of these two games. Derek Cornelius definitely has to start one of these two games. My question I'll pose to you is, which one of these two do you feel is the most important? For me, it's this Minnesota game because I feel there's more chance of taking points from Minnesota than perhaps going to KC and taking the points. Yeah, but KC has not been good this year. That, that I don't know what they've yeah, done this true. weekend, but they are not spectacular either. They've had their rough moments. So, and they're coming. Uh, they're playing uh, um, in Houston on Wednesday as well. So yeah. that's going to be difficult for them. But uh, I think both, if they could get what one, honestly, if they could get one result out of one of the games, I think that's a good saw off. I don't expect them to win both of them. Um, yeah, I'd if, they take three. Pick up, if they if they could pick up a win, that's even better. But even a draw out of these two games it would be, not be too bad. Um, I know I'm setting expectations really low, but it's the beginning of a season, and they're still not fully like uh, have their full lineup and everything like that. I do feel that they can go to Minnesota and and get something. So I'd be tempted to put the strongest lineup out there, and I think. A lot of question is around this midfield because, again, going back to the who scored things for the the game against Montreal, Bikel got 6.7. He's not really been lighting it up for me. So I'd be happy to see Owusu in beside Alejandri. 
with maybe Bikel coming on for, for Kyle, maybe after an hour mark, just depending on, on, on how Kyle is feeling or whatever. Or if Baldy is good to go, bring him on, say the hour mark for Kyle. But I, I'd like a Wusso in. I liked the little kind of spark he brought to the team. Great tackle. I loved that tackle that he did that he got booked for. So, I mean, the, the midfield is a good... I, I like the idea of putting Raposo out there, possibly for Tybert, but not for this game on, on Wednesday. I'd keep Tybert on the left, just to add that kind of defensive thing to the left side of the park. I, I'd take the risk and start the front three for this one. And then just take a call at half time if it's maybe not working out or there's tiredness yeah. or at the hour mark. I'd like my big guns out for this. I would make maybe just Gaspar, maybe Cornelius, but making two defensive changes as well in a game. I'm not a big fan of that. Yeah, well, I mean, we'll, we'll see what happens in, in this one. I, I think there will be changes for both these games. I'd expect a lot more for the Kansas City game. Because I was just gonna mention. I was just gonna mention too that we're talking about the these two road games. I didn't realize that this is gonna be their last home game until June twenty third. Uh, they they're not playing another home. They're playing in Salt uh, in in Salt Lake in June eighteenth. Uh, uh, but that's against Real Salt Lake, so that's not officially a home game. Yeah, uh, they've got one more game after KC. Yeah, it, it's in Houston, and then they're uh, and then June eighteenth they play at home. No, they they're not home. They're the away team. To Real Salt Lake. So and home away part, from home. Yeah. So it's going to be weird that it's going to be over uh, uh, six weeks until they play another official home game. Wow. That's some good stats. I hadn't, hadn't realised that. I knew there was this yeah. break coming up, but I hadn't realised it, it was so so long. I can I ask Mark how he feels about that during the week. But I mean, these two games coming up, and in fact, the next runner of little games, is going to be unusual for the Whitecaps, because they're actually going to be playing in front of fans. First time this season for the Minnesota game. I was racking my brains, and I can't remember, did they actually play in front of any fans last year, after COVID hit? I I don't, because they never will. I I think Texas was the only place that was sending fans, or even Florida, and they they never really went there. No, I I don't think, I think they might not have played at all against fans. I think they played at some open stadiums, but people refused to show up. (laughs) <laughs> I'm joking I know I'm pretty sure they didn't play in front yeah of so th- this is going to be a weird feeling for some of the players initially because it's going to be weird just seeing folks sitting there hearing things you've got the advantage if you're the the away team of shutting the fans up or in Minnesota's case possibly getting them on their back if their bad run of form is, is continuing it's, it's an interesting dynamic Zach do you think it can play into this good or bad I mean, yeah, I mean, listening to MDS and Max talk about it today, uh, you know, MDS says it doesn't affect him. He says it might affect the players a little bit. Yeah, I thought that was interesting. It's like the coach is like, nah, it doesn't bother me. Well, he was just said, he just said, he was kind of trying to say he's a, he is who he is, right? Like, it doesn't matter how he interacts with the game is not going to change. For the players, I think it, uh, I think you heard Max saying the players are all talking about it and excited about it and looking forward to it. And so, uh, obviously, they'd like to have people that are supporting them. But even playing in front of people who are cheering against them, yeah, gives you adrenaline and gives you uh, a, a certain kind of boost, right? And so, uh, hopefully, it uh, helps them kick on more than it does their opponents. Steve, do you think it will have much of an impact? 
I think the player, some players, it will, uh, because they kind of thrive on atmosphere and everything like that. I don't think someone like Kava, I, I think, will thrive on someone yeah. beating him and getting really up for it. Yeah, and so I think that it will have some kind of influence on on, on the players. Um, I I think the I, I agree with Mark DeSantos. I don't think it makes a difference in his preparation, but it, if he, he has to uh, keep in part that this is the first time and make sure, especially if he's planning on starting younger players, that they're not in, uh, influenced by those fans and how they play. Well, let's just hear a little bit off the audio that I asked MDS and Max Crippo after the game against Montreal, just about the fans being back, whether they're excited for that and what difference they feel it could make to the game. Wednesday is going to be the first time in a long time, first time this season, but just in months that the team's played in front of fans. It's going to be the same in Kansas City as well. Are you looking forward to having the fans there? Do you think it's going to add a little no, bit of a different dynamic? I'm not looking forward to it. Players maybe yes, because it keeps a high level of organization. I look forward to have Vancouver fans, to have our fans. That's what I look forward to. I don't care too much about the fans from the opponent. I'm the Vancouver Whitecaps coach. I care about our fans and I care about the day where I'm going to be in a stadium back with our fans. But do you feel but it for maybe... the players? Yeah. But for the play, it doesn't change my passion on the bench. It doesn't change. I, you have to see me play uh, FIFA against my kids. You know, uh, it doesn't change my passion towards winning. It does change the dynamic for players. I'm aware of that, that um, they want to do well and they uh, th that emotion comes back. And players are have, a, have an ego, right? So they like to do well in front of people. It changes for them, not for me. The game that's coming up on Wednesday, it's going to be the first time in a long time that you've played in front of fans. It's away fans. It's a chance to to shut up the fans, I guess, if, if you come out strong, especially with a team that's been struggling. Are you just looking forward to, to having that whole experience? Because the next couple of games, you're going to be in front of fans. Yes, all the guys, um, you know, all the guys at breakfast and during the week, after training in the gym, we're all saying, hey, we're going to play with fans soon, even if it's not our people. Uh, we will play with uh, attendance which is amazing this is a, a big part of the adrenaline of the game day of the feels uh, during a season and so uh, we're all excited to be honest yes we're going Wednesday with a crowd we're going Saturday with a crowd start first with Wednesday in Minnesota uh, but yeah we are looking forward to it might be a factor as well so we got to be smart about uh, managing our energy and their, their energy as well because they have uh, they have people in the stands so MDS and Max Crippo there just chatting about fans being back at the games. Fingers crossed we'll get some games at BC Place with fans by the end of the year. Still not overly hopeful for that, but when I spoke to Max Crippo, if anyone remembers, earlier on this year, he said September, mark his words. So I'm going to hold him to that, so we'll see what happens. So just a little bit more Whitecats chat just to round this part off. Now, there was an interesting incident during the week where I asked Mark just what he he thought after having a couple of days to, to look at the Colorado game. He then went off on a big rant about refereeing VAR, Alan Chapman. 
I followed up with a question. He said a little bit more about it. And I came away from that thinking, he's going to get fined. And yep, Friday afternoon, undisclosed fine for public criticism of referees. Not unexpected. I, I mean, I still don't think it was a penalty. So there's that side of it. But I thought it was interesting, Steve, for Mark just to go off so much on a a referee in particular, and in this case, Alan Chapman, who was operating VAR. It is going to make things a little bit tense, let's say, or awkward uh, the next time he is officiating a Whitecaps game. There must be something that I don't recall from previous year, uh, maybe last season, that Alan Chapman's uh, uh, Well, JJ dug into the the stats, and there's been a couple of times where he sent Whitecaps players off or called for VAR reviews when he was the VAR official. Well, whatever the case is, that those answers he gave definitely had an influence on his wallet. Um, um, and you know, and you were mentioned that it, Disneyland might not be an option. Yeah, because he'd said once before he didn't want to talk about referees because he doesn't want to have to tell his kids that they won't be going to Disneyland. Yeah. So I, I maybe, guess he's going to make me maybe, do that. I, 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 I think there is, like, like you said, there is some kind of uh, history there, and I think that's why there was issues. Like I said, a lot of those calls that were bar reviewed um yeah they might have been correct but they weren't you know you know obvious uh they yeah. were the clear you, obvious you, calls you said that last week yeah and there were like kind of borderline calls yes if, if you review them yeah you probably will be able to but it's not something that in a human referee would be able to like it's a it's a over it's basically an over correction it's it's not a, just a correction it's an over correction no matter what questions were asked, he wanted to get that point over on Wednesday. So he was going to get that point across. And he did. And he knew he was going to get fined for it. But he's made his case. But just one last thing to to mention in this part. Anyone that watched the TSN broadcast today will have heard the new play-by-play voice for the Whitecaps on TSN. We hinted big time last week on last week's show when we mentioned that the price is right. And of course it is Blake Price. Just thoughts from you guys of of how he did for his, his first MLS soccer game, calling it. Um, I thought he, I didn't listen to it too much, but I did have it on way higher than I normally do. Um, I think anybody who is there that helps me not have to listen to the Toronto media call Whitecaps game, I can listen to Paul Dolan again. Um, is a positive. I don't think he did overly bad. Um, he might have overcalled a couple of calls and everything like that. Uh, but I think. Uh, First time out, I don't think it's that big. It's that big a huge deal. I think it was decent. Like Steve, I too had the volume on today so that I could listen. Usually, nothing against Luke Wildman, who I, I I highly appreciate, but usually I'm engaging with other people during the matches, and so I have the volume off. Today I had it on so that I could listen a little bit. Like I think Blake like acquitted himself fine. Like I, I don't think there's there's I mean there's some people nitpicking about stuff and whatever and, and that's the, the well he was always going to get that like because yeah. Pete's loved by so many people here oh, I, I like, don't think he was as I definitely don't think he was as good as Pete Chad at this point Peter yeah. Chad He's, Peter Chad has set a huge high standard for a local uh, uh, football broadcasting play by play I think for me the the bigger issue and the reason why I won't like after this week I'll, I'll continue to have the volume off is like I think and I know not everyone will will share this opinion. That's fine. I think, like, you, in a commentator, I want someone like who actually cares about the sport. Yeah, cares about what's going on. That's that's and, the issue for me too. Yeah, and Blake Price again. This is not a knock against him as a person. He just has different priorities in life. 
And, and if he were to try and claim, you know, he's really into football and really cares about it, uh, I would say that his public expressions in the however many years he's been doing stuff in, in, this, in this region uh, would, would, would point to a, to a different perspective. And so for me, it's like, yeah, I know the guy doesn't care about football. I know the guy's only doing this because it's a job and he needs to or has to or wants to. He's got kids. Yeah, yeah, he's got – he wants to go to Disneyland one day too again. Um, and so uh, I know he doesn't care about the sport and doesn't care about the organization. And so uh, for me, it's uh, – I, I don't really – I'm not looking forward to his tenure. What I would say on it is I, I thought he did a, a decent job today. I also – I think he let Paul Dolan talk a lot more. Yeah. Which is a good thing. The big thing for me with letting Pete Shad go is, and Dolly helps by having him there, but you lose the history. You lose the knowledge. And someone messaged me today saying, and I, I didn't hear this because I was kind of just listening to it with half an ear at times. Apparently Blake had said something about, oh, there's not really much of a rivalry between Vancouver and Montreal. And then Dolly piped up to say, well, no, there was years ago and, and explained that. So you lose that kind of history that Pete Shad c- can bring with it. So that's sad. But I think he did a good enough job. But in saying that, I do agree with something that Zach said there. I thought the passion wasn't there at times. And especially during such a shit first half, which was really boring at times. And it's like, just his, his tone of his commentary didn't help raise any excitement in the game. And I know there's not much excitement to raise, but you've got to do something to, to keep those listening engaged. I, I just feel he maybe didn't do that enough at times, but that'll come. It's his first game in charge. But what? what... Oh, sorry. I was just going to say that he might not be 100% inaccurate saying there's not, because Montreal is not the impact anymore. So there is no real rivalry with the club football in Montreal or whatever the hell they call them. No, but that, um, I mean... Send all your complaints to Whitecaps Beat on Twitter. <laughs> Zach, I'm joking. Um, I think that uh, I agree with you 100% that the, it's the history that's lost. Um, and, and I will, after listening to um, uh, that show, uh, Sakaris and Price back in the day, like when they were on TSN 1040, I'll 100% back Zach on his assessment that they really, he doesn't, it's not his first priority. Yeah. I'll say that. Like when they, you could say, oh, they covered the training camp. They were getting free trips to Hawaii. Yes, that that's essentially what it was. So that's why he was there. So don't. Uh, so essentially, you're 100 percent right uh, that there is a, a less caring about the team. It's more. It's going to be more robotic because it's going to be like uh, you know, say this uh, point, uh, play by play mm-hmm. by points kind of thing. That's like, a good point. So it's gonna it's and hopefully Dolan's able to throw in that history. Maybe these guys need to talk more about yeah. that, and, and so that uh, Blake Price is better prepared. This is when the color guys really needed. Yeah, and and, Dol- and you're right. Dolly does help this land less less hard for for some people. Uh, the, if we want to use an analogy, it reminds me in a different way, and it, it, it reminds me of Breck Shea. Mm-hmm. Breck Shea was a talented footballer who could yeah. play football well, but he didn't care about football. Yeah. Like and, and again, that's not a knock against him personally. No, and he's, he's yeah. said that. That's not just Zach saying this, if anyone doesn't know. He's come out and said he doesn't have a love for the game. Exactly. Yeah. And you want people at your organization, you want people at your football club 
who are passionate about football, who get football, who understand football, or who um, are, are quick to learn, you know, and, and and maybe Price, you know, will will be quick quick to learn and and and. Yeah, I'm and, sure he'll take the criticism on board. I mean, the the one thing for me that sums it all up is because I knew he was getting the job. I've kept an eye on his Twitter all week. Not one tweet about the Whitecaps, not one tweet about soccer. It's all just Canucks, Canucks, Canucks. If you're the play-by-play guy, surely you want to be building up a little bit of enthusiasm for the club you're just about to be commentating on. So I find that disappointing. Yeah, we, and, and, and we don't know how long this is going to last either. This is, could be just a stopgap. Um, well, isn't the contract some... up with TSN at the end of this year? That's what I mean. Get, I, yeah. I, I, yeah, that's what I mean. I'm not sure how long this is going to last because uh, TSN's cutting uh, a lot of stuff too, so or Bell Media or whatever. Yeah. Are, are we are we able to talk about Hart's tweet from today? Oh, yeah. We can finish on that if you want. So uh, you helped me be aware today that uh, Har tweeted out uh, finally the, the Whitecaps themselves making comment on, on Pete Shad no longer being their play-by-play person yeah. uh, for them with the TSN and uh, TSN broadcasts on you know TV games and radio games and whatnot, and I know we, we've talked a lot about this the three the three of us, but I, I felt that it was what they said in that little statement to Har was um, it felt a little bit hollow, and it felt hollow for me because one they didn't they didn't say anything like that to like if they had said that to JJ when he wrote the article if they said that right away to JJ you could kind of maybe understand it, but then after a waiting a week and a half or whatever it was. And then, and then, and then giving the statement to Har, not even like a public statement, but just to Har for Har to put out. Um, if- well, Har, Har had been trying to, to get a statement from them for, for about a week. Cause she had written or helped write a piece about it. So that, that was why, but they hadn't given her to one till so that finally, till so late finally, in the day. So finally they gave her one and it was, didn't make the article. It was only in her tweet. And it was again, like the, the bare minimum. And it lacked like, it lacked like compassion. Now I know there's, I think different people have different expectations. I just would have expected for someone who gave so much to the club, uh, not only as a broadcaster, but in other ways, which they do, did sort of acknowledge. Um, I would just would have expected a more compassionate um, public expression as he was no longer going to be involved with them anymore. And for me, it, it feels like it's a, for me, it's a sign of, of how they as an organization kind of, don't have a lot of soul, you know. There's not a lot of it. It, it, it has a, It's more like it's it's a business as opposed to a, a club, a community thing, right? And I don't know. It just made me a little bit sad again. Again, mm. for, for that. Yeah, the, the longer it went on without them making a statement, it then felt the awkward. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And the thing is, you don't know who like who's in charge because the thing is is. Is it Axel that makes that comment? Axel's only been here a couple of years. Uh, is it somebody higher up that should be making it? Uh, maybe they didn't like Pete Chad that much that they didn't want to make that announcement. Um, so it's it's all coming to like... And the thing is, Zach, you've mentioned it over the years too, that this club rarely ever puts the right foot forward when saying goodbye to a former player or mm. a former coach or something like that. So is it really that surprising that they didn't do it for somebody who probably they consider not even their employee. Yeah. I, I, I'm not surprised at all. I think it's just sad because yeah. this is one, this is not a player who's going to another, another organ. This is a guy who's in the community, who's involved in football in the community, who's not, not going anywhere. Yeah. And so to me, it, it felt like it, it was like, it felt, it felt like a softball, like an easy, an easy thing for them to just like, just the, the day it got announced, the, the, like just even a tweet or, 
whatever. Just saying we really appreciated uh, the relationship we've had all these years. You're, you're going to be missed. Right? Yeah. Uh, that would have been nice. Was, it was the, hey, you were, you, uh, you, you know, you did this stuff for us. Best of luck in the future, which again is, is better maybe than nothing, but it, it just. But coming over a week after the fact. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. But I'm sure Pete won't be out of work soon in that regard. I'm sure we'll, we'll hear he... him on the airwaves soon. Yeah, he, he definitely is. Uh, I still will like the thing. The only positive thing about this is in a in a little bit once Blake Price does a few more games, I could do a flash five of top uh, Whitecaps play by play people. And oh, spoiler, can you can you include Whitecaps two games as well? Yeah, spoiler, <laughs> play by play. I didn't say. Oh, play. okay. Uh, uh, but spoiler alert: P Chad's going to be very high up on there. Mm. I'd be interested in that list. That would, be, that would be a really interesting Yeah, thing. let's see who else we can annoy in the industry. Anyway, that is it for this part. That is it for talking about Whitecaps. We'll be back with one more part where I'm going to be rounding up the week's action in Major League Soccer. And I'll be back with that after this. Hi, this is Andy Rose, and you're listening to the AFTN Soccer Show. I don't skate still in this Bristol Studio 24, man, it did go Things that I love made a mass hole I might as well move west to Glasgow Still love Reef, that's my damn home But Edinburgh feels like it's sunk low Drowned out the sound in its class war Built more flats that nobody asked for Don't know much about politics I just know that the council are robbing pricks Fund under belly in the Porsche bits Fancy chains like Lord Provis hits Who's to blame when they quoted this? Since soul of the city was sold for bids All my life I have loved here What happened to the city that I held dear? Remember we used to laugh Remember we used to dance City needs a new fresh start Hope this love just ain't in the past Looking up from a bench to an empty park Wondering to myself why it fell apart All the dreams that we had kept them in the dark Until the next day let us freestyle for a laugh Some had plans to escape, maybe start again But the lights from the push throw me back in When I sketch my thoughts I think of past times Takes me back to a place I never can find Welcome back to the final part of this episode of the AFTN Soccer Show on CITR Radio 101.9 FM. And kicking off this part, we promised you it last week and we've delivered. We played last week the new single from Word SOS and Deco. It was called Pushing Forward. I mentioned it was kind of like a two-part song and that we would play the second part of the song this week. That's what you've heard just now. That was Edinburgh. So make sure you go and check out Weird SOS on Bandcamp. You can find all his stuff on there at weird.bandcamp.com backslash music. Also, while we're on the subject of Bandcamp, give a plug as well to Sarah Jickling, the writer of our theme song here at the AFT and Soccer Show. You can check out all her stuff at sarahsgoodbadluck.bandcamp.com Check out both those sites, send some love and some dollars away to both of those very talented artists. But let's get back to the football chat now, and we're going to be turning our attention to the week in MLS. 
Now, the first three parts of the show tonight were all recorded on Saturday afternoon. Steve and me have hopped on to do this little MLS roundup, so that's why Zach's not here. But we're going to look at the action across MLS West and just touch on a few other things in the rest of MLS this weekend. So it was another entertaining weekend uh, around Major League Soccer. A slew of derbies, more galazzos, some exciting comebacks and a lot of talking points. Now the action got underway on Friday night with an entertaining match between Real Salt Lake and San Jose. RSL have played some nice football this year and they deservedly took the lead two minutes before half-time with a fantastic goal from Rubio Rubin. He controlled the ball in his chest and then set up a stunning bicycle kick finish. San Jose never really looked like they'd get back into the match, but then their talisman did the business for them, with Wando striking twice in the space of four minutes to secure all three points. He grabbed his first in the 83rd minute when he pounced on a rebound after slow reaction from the RSL defence. They basically just let Wando run in and put the ball away. His second was a beautiful header, where he was allowed again to rise unchallenged, so yeah, a big win for, for the Quakes there, Steve. And I mean, you don't really know what that could mean in the, the grand scheme of things come the, the end of the season. That could be two teams battling it out for maybe one of the final playoff spots or something. What did you make of that one? Uh, yeah, uh, a surprising game. I thought RSL had it fully in control. Obviously, Wando um, coming on. And I think this is the spot that Wando needs to be in. I don't think he can be a starter for San Jose. Yeah. But he's so dangerous off the bench. Um, as a I mean, sub- what a luxury to have yeah, right? exactly. the, the all-time leading scorer in the league just to come off the bench when you need him. Exactly. And we were talking about Freddie Montero being a luxury. This is more of a luxury than that. Uh, so, yeah, I think fantastic. Like it almost showed like uh, signs of the old Wando. Um, yeah. I think the few free games was just because he was starting, and I don't think that's the right position for him. But we've seen it a couple of times this season. Teams still don't pick him up in the box. Yeah. It's like, they must know, surely, what he's going to th- do if they give him any space. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that he knows where to go and mm. and people just can't figure it out and he's always changing and everything. So I think that has a lot of it too. You got to give yeah. him some of the credit. Oh, absolutely. The next Western Conference game was the Texan Derby. So it's the first of nine Texan Derbies this year. And I, I've been excited for them with Austin coming in. I thought it's going to be good rivalries, good atmospheres. This just felt flat. I I didn't watch this in full. I just watched the highlights of of this today. It was a one-all draw. Not a lot of excitement. Fafa Pico scored from the spot for Houston against his old club in the 34th minute. He became the first player to score for both teams in a Texan derby. Yeah. But, of course, it's Austin now as well, so I don't know if that negates it a little bit. Yeah, exactly. And then Um, Jader O'Brien, he tied things up eight minutes later. Yeah. Um, I, I, this was another one. Uh, you're 100% right. It wasn't that exciting. Um, uh, and a, a really good point to that is that um, MLS Soccer didn't even put it up as highlights on their YouTube uh, channel. Um, I actually didn't realize they were playing until today. It went up. Were... It went up late today. Yeah. Only today. Okay, yeah, so I, I, yeah, I watched it this morning, but it had only gone up late. Yeah. And so well, it was one of the last ones that went up. Yeah. To, to give you another example there, I can't remember if it was Dallas or Houston. I think it was Houston because I'm on their their media mailing list. So yeah. they had a breakdown of the game summary. There was only three things listed for the whole second half for both teams. Yeah. As things to talk about in their game summary. Well, yeah. It was surprising, yeah. It, it, it was definitely not a derby uh, of the ages. 
No. I mean, it, things will pick up a bit, hopefully, when they play Austin, when they maybe get back to full stadiums, which doesn't seem to be too far away. I, I watched the, the boxing on Saturday night from Dallas. 73,000 plus people in for the Canelo-Billy Joe Saunders fight. The third biggest indoor attendance at a boxing match of all time and the biggest ever in the States. And you're thinking, ah, that's sensible during a pandemic to, to yeah. do that. But that's Texas. They're going to be opening yeah. it up. So there are going to be some great atmospheres at, at these games. Now, the LA Derby, on the other hand. That was a good one. I actually yeah. watched this one full. Yeah, I, I, I enjoyed this. Like on the whole... I think the LA Derbies, they've not disappointed in terms of entertainment value at yeah. all. And th this was another one. It's like a good old-fashioned derby. It's aided and abetted, of course, because the crowd in this were really lively. And it, it, it was less attendance there than at Dallas, but it was a way better atmosphere. And another derby win for the Galaxy. It fully deserves. And Chicharito... Last week was obviously, he had his lull. He had his little quiet week. He didn't score, but made it scored three weeks of the four so far. 11th minute, finished it well. Got back on the, the score sheet. Fantastic tackle. Yeah. And like LAFC, they, they turned it up a little bit more in the second half, but that first half, I think, belonged to the Galaxy. But then LAFC kind of, they got one of their own key marksmen finally yeah. on the score sheet for the first goal of the season. Diego Rossi, 62nd minute, leveling things up. And then I kind of felt after that that LAFC, they were in the ascendancy, they'd maybe go on and win it. But Galaxy, fair credit to them, like they stepped it back up themselves. They retook the lead through Jonathan DeSantis, 11 minutes remaining. Chicharito assist this time. But DeSantis, he was just allowed to like run in to the back yeah. of the box. It's like that was Vancouver-esque marking. Yeah, slotted at home. The thing is with LAFC, like you were talking about the the like Galaxy had their chances during that second half. Oh yeah, they were just yeah. they just weren't able to click in and get the thing uh, the, the shot on net or anything like that. LAFC was giving up a lot of chances. For me, this 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 derby is like more of like the grizzled veteran, the Galaxy team go, uh, going up against the young up and comer. Uh, the yeah. new player in the league. So it's kind of like that kind of rivalry where LAFC feels like they probably got to prove themselves all the time and Galaxy's trying to hold on to their spot for LA. So this one will always have that feeling of, uh, of you know, of, of that perfect derby. I'm surprised LAFC lost this one, though. Uh, a great shot mm -hmm. for the Galaxy and obviously Vandy is getting the team back in order. Uh, but they both both these teams defensively are not the strongest. Which I, no, I was I thought there'd be more goals honestly than this. Yeah, it, both both sides are let down big time by defenses still, and it's like Vanny's done well. He's he's turned the galaxy around in an attacking unit, but defensively they still look dodgy. LAFC though, we've said this for I think this is the third season now. If they do not sort that defense out. They are not going to win anything in this league, and this is why they they haven't this this year. And they they didn't get a high finish last year for the playoffs. They're already out of the playoff spots super early, of course. But it does feel like if their guys just aren't clicking, if Vela and Rossi aren't banging the goals in, then they don't have much. The next game we're going to talk about, though, I think is my game of the weekend. Yeah, got a lot of goals. <laughs> I watched this one in full. Oh, okay. Uh, in two parts, I watched the first half live and then I watched the the second half later after I, I, I 
took the dog out for a, a walk and spent some time with my wife since I hadn't seen much of her on Saturday. I mean, if you want to talk about the the old cliche, the proverbial game of two halves, this is exhibit number one. Now, I paid a lot of interest to this because Minnesota are the Whitecaps opponents on Wednesday. So it's Colorado-Minnesota that we're talking about. It was a 3-2 win for the home side in the end, but boy, did they have to to work hard for, for that. Minnesota, four straight defeats to begin the season. And this was a game that I, because of the altitude, and we'll talk a little bit about this, like they tired in that second half. But to to lose a two-goal lead, to be that physically drained, I don't know what toll this is going to take in them mentally and physically going into Wednesday now. Now, we kind of previewed when we had Zach what we thought was going to happen on on Wednesday. What we were hoping would happen. Yeah. Have you changed your mind from what you saw from Minnesota in this one? Yeah, Minnesota is, uh, and I, I was surprised. I think Igopara is still missing from their yeah. lineup and probably won't play this uh, this midweek no. game either. They are missing them big time. And uh, I, I you, you, this is where uh, a team like LAFC sees that, you know, uh, how much of a difference uh, a center, a really good center back makes on the team. And I think, I, I think Vancouver can actually take them if, if, if it all depends on how Minnesota takes out of this game. They should be down in the dumps right now because they had a two goal lead with about half an hour to go or so. Yeah. Like just a little bit over half an hour to go. Once Colorado pulled one back, though, I was in no doubt that they were going to get at least yeah. a point from it. Let's recap what happened then. So it was all going really good for the Loons in the first half. They were two goals up, they were looking comfortable, and that's just past the midway point of the first half. Emmanuel Reynoso fired him in a 17th minute lead. What a free kick. Yeah. And then Hassani Dotson doubled their lead seven minutes later with a well-worked goal. It was all because of a Colorado giveaway. So that's something the Whitecaps need to watch for, a la Jake Nerwinski, who didn't get punished on Saturday. But it was like the, it was just poor picking up in the box as well from the quick counter. So that's something the Whitecaps can learn from, hopefully. So, so far, so very good for Minnesota. They'd pressed really hard in that first half and it seemed to take its toll because the energy that they expended, it seemed to just be sapped out of them in that second half and it was to cost them big time. They tired dramatically. They looked a shadow of the team that they were in that first half but the Rapids were also fired up after the break. They hit the woodwork, there was goal line clearance. It looked like their luck maybe wasn't going to be in they pulled one back in the 57th minute. Kellen Acosta, long-range screamer. I mean, that was tremendous. But as soon as that ball hit the back of the net, I thought that was it. The momentum swung in Colorado's favour and they were just going to like take over, and they did. Yeah, Col- if, you, if you could see like a physical interpretation or a definition of a turning point, that was it right there. Yeah. Cole Bassett, he poked the ball home in the 71st minute after... Minnesota's Canadian keeper, Dane St. Clair, he failed to hold on to the ball in the slippery conditions. I was going to ask you, you saw it live. I couldn't really tell by the highlights. It did. It seemed like it got wetter in the second half. It too. did. There was a yeah. huge downpour, I think, just before the, the first, either just before or just after the first goal. Like oh, the heavens okay. opened and it was yeah. really, really heavy. So much so that I thought, oh, is there going to be lightning? Are we going to get a rain delay? Yeah, right. the conditions got... 
that's the bad thing with the highlights. If they don't show that, folks can be watching going, this is confusing. Yeah. But I think Sinclair, I know it's wet, but he needs to hold on to that. Or and punch it away. Yeah. The thing is, he's had a mixed start to the season. A lot of the goals that he's given up, they haven't been his fault, but there have been some that he definitely could have done better with. And when you're a team that's lost four games, you're looking to make changes. You're looking to try and do something to spark it. That often leads to a change in goalkeeper. Yeah. I would not be surprised to see St. Clair fall out of that lineup because it was kind of surprising that he'd end the starting spot to begin with. I, I think he might drop out for this Vancouver game. Now, who, who's the other keeper on the team of Minnesota? I think it's a veteran. Right? It's a pretty solid veteran. Yeah, Tyler Miller is probably the guy that would come in. He was on the bench yesterday. He's a yeah. guy that's got minutes for them before. So I would not be surprised if he is one of what I think could be quite a few changes for, for Minnesota on Wednesday. But we'll, we'll come back to that in a sec. Now, Danny Wilson, my fellow Scotsman, but he rose unchallenged to head home what was to be an 82nd minute winner. Colorado even got a goal disallowed after that for offside. I mean, it was quite the comeback, but it was also quite the collapse for Minnesota. If you look at the stats though, Colorado, they only had four shots on target. Three of them went in. Minnesota had three and two of them went in. So it was efficient without actually really being very dangerous, I, I guess you could say. But yeah, lots of questions now heading into this mid- midweek clash for the, the Caps in Minnesota. How crushing will this defeat be on Minnesota mentally? Will they get the reaction Adrian Heath is going to demand? They look drained. I, I don't know that they can. some of them can recover in, in four days. Or whether they even have the bodies to fully recover. Like after it, I, I watched the the post game from Adrian Heath, which you really should try and check out because it looks like it's a hostage situation. <laughs> I don't know where they recorded it. They've got the the backdrop, but it's not fully covering the brick wall. And the way that he's sitting really low and he's kind of just like fidgeting about side to side, he looks yeah. like he's like he's about to get a ransom demand. Yeah, it'd be awesome if somebody edited in uh, like a newspaper, him holding a newspaper. <laughs> That'd be ideal. Here's some of the stuff he said afterwards. He said, we are what we are. Never a good thing to say four weeks <laughs> into the season. Um, he highlighted that they need to eradicate their mistakes at the back. But he said he's at a loss of how a team can play that well in the first half and then that's poorly in the second. He did not blame the altitude though. He said that would just be an excuse and he doesn't think that was right. He felt they needed to move the ball quicker. They needed to pass it forward and not backwards. They had to stop the silly giveaways. He said we made too many poor choices and right now they're affecting us. So I don't know how you get out of that in the space of four days, but you have to expect a reaction on Wednesday. While Vancouver, you feel like they were very efficient in the way they uh, performed because they really didn't uh, uh, like have to like expend that much energy. Um, Minnesota, like you said, yeah, Minnesota, like you said before, uh, pressed so much in that first half, and then they had to chase the game. Uh, to, uh, like defended the second half vehemently, so they were tired probably from that too. So they they're probably very exhausted uh, from this game, where Vancouver might have a little bit more energy going into that game. So very well could take advantage of that. I, I'm pretty confident going into this. I mean, I'm looking at the bench. That's the kiss of death for the White I know, I know. I'm I'm looking at 
Yeah, because I expected them to win against Colorado and that didn't go well. Yeah. But I'm looking at the bench from Minnesota and like they brought on Juan Agudelo. So, I mean, he could come in to start. Ethan Finley could come in to start. Yeah. Tyler Miller in goals. I mean, it got so bad in the second half that they're tied at two. And Adrian Heath said he made a defensive substitution because he knew they were going to lose the game. Well. So he just knew where, where it was going. They had load starting up front, which I thought was a bit of a strange one. But, I mean, they've had injuries. They've had missing personnel. I think this is a great time to get them. And if yep. the Whitecaps can get ahead early, get those Minnesota fans maybe a little bit upset on the back of the team, a little bit anxious, take them out of the game, it can only bode well for them. I think this is the game where they got to press they got to press Minnesota and see yeah. what they can do. Not even not for an extended period, but at least like the first ten minutes and really put pressure on them and then back off a little bit. Yeah, so I, th- I think getting out early is good because like if you can hit them when they're down and take an yeah. early lead, and they'll think, "Oh, here we go again." And obviously, MDS probably after the game was able to catch the game uh, in full, where he didn't have. Whereas uh, Adrian Heath is preparing and uh, has to review the game. So it gives it a little bit more advantage of being able to watch it a couple extra times. Let, let's get to today's games. So the Cascadian Derby, which it was nice. It, it was live on an actual network. It was live on ABC. So folk across the US didn't need a sports channel to watch it. it Seattle came away with a 2-1 win. And the first 55 minutes I found pretty boring in this, but then the... The remainder of the game was yep. exciting as, as hell. There's been a few Cascadian derbies, though, of late between these two teams that just haven't lived up to the expectation. I don't know if the hype's been too much or the teams are too wary of each other now or what. But oh, I think a few maybe, boring games. Yeah, I think it maybe has a little bit to do with the lack of uh, supporters in the, in the stands as mm. well. Uh, if you're talking about just since last year. I don't know if you're extending it back further. Nah, maybe even a little bit before that. But yeah, the games okay. last year I didn't feel with that. Although our yeah. our cascading games last year as well, there wasn't much yeah. edge in it. I mean, the fans do help, especially when there's away fans there. And it was a, a small crowd in Portland today. I think it was just about 4,000. But you could yeah. hear them and they, they came up with a, a good atmosphere. So, I mean, in, in this one, Raul Rui Diaz missed a great first half chance to put Seattle ahead. But it was goalless uh, at half time. Rui Diaz then had a chance to put Seattle ahead in the second half, but couldn't take that. But it wasn't as good a chance as Diego Valeri for Portland. Just before the hour mark, he missed a penalty twice. The first was saved by Stefan Fry, and then was called back by VAR. And there was debate, was it because Fry came off the line? Was it for encroachment by Nuhu? Which is very interesting, because he also encroached the second time, and it wasn't called back. Because I, I watched him and he encroached again. But this time, the second time around, Valeri hit the ball off the post. It came straight back to him without Fry getting a touch or any sound of getting a touch. Valeri poked it home. Whether he maybe thought Fry had got a fingertip to it and it was okay for him to touch it, I don't know. It's just but, probably a reaction. Yeah, reaction. I, it's probably, yeah, it probably is an automatic thing. So and it's, it's, an odd, it's an odd rule. Like honestly, I know I knew about the rule, but it's still to this day is a very odd rule. I don't understand the, the, the how they came up with it. That if it comes off the post, it's not it has to be touched by somebody else. I, right? I guess they think it can give teams an advantage, but if you can know. hit it off the post to come exactly. back to you, I mean, you, that, that, geez. That, that's more impressive than getting it in the net. Yeah, you've got a small post to aim for as opposed to a, a, a whole goal. But, I mean, that was a massive let off for Seattle, yeah. and they capitalized on it 
big time. They went up the pitch, won their own penalty when Rui Diaz was brought down in the box, possibly twice. It was hard to tell what tackle they actually gave it for. He picked himself up, fired home the opener. But then Jeff Attenella went off injured for Portland. He was replaced by Hunter Sulte, I'm going to yeah, pronounce a, a t- it. Teenager. Oh, yeah, I think he the is. tallest yeah, yeah, yeah. ever goalkeeper to play in MLS was the, the start that they came up with. That didn't really help him much. No. Um, and Freddie Montero, who else in a game between these two teams? He headed home Seattle second in the 79th minute. I, I noticed this during the commentary and someone tweeted about this as well. That it, it appears his three years spent with Vancouver go out the window. When they're just talking about what he's done in MLS, they just talk about what he did in Seattle yeah. and his games against the the Timbers with Seattle. It doesn't seem to count his time with the Whitecaps. No. But yeah, Freddie's still scoring in Cascadian derbies. He loves it. I it's remember not, speaking it's not to the him. Only, it's, sorry, it's not the only place where Vancouver's been erased from too. I saw a TSN commercial for MLS and there was no mention of Vancouver in any of the pictures. Every other team was mentioned. Oh, wow. I watched it three or four times. Montreal, Toronto was in there. Uh, every other team in MLS, but no Vancouver mentioned. That's fine. Just keep underrating us, and then yeah. we'll just surprise everyone. But I, I remember speaking to Freddie when he first came here, and he said he just loves scoring against Portland. It's just mm. because they give him so much abuse, and you heard it today. Yeah. There's still time, though, for Rui Diaz to have a goal disallowed for offside, which was a cracking finish. But then an equally cracking finish was the stoppage time free kick from Bill Tuiloma. He pulled one back for Portland, deep in stoppage time, too little, too late. Too little, too late, but I, 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 it was a really good goal. They, they had a Rui Diaz lying down on the floor, uh, on, the, yeah. on, on the ground. Oh. And, but, but he got it on the side of the wall, not even up and down. It was uh, curled around the side of the wall. Which was great. It was. I think they only had four people in the wall. They should have five. I think. I, I don't I, know if you noticed uh, Rui Diaz he, when he was lying on the ground. He was inching a little bit forward. Yeah, it exactly. was like, hilarious that. to I watch. Saw that. I saw that. Then the last game of the weekend, Kansas City two, Austin one. I mean, Austin's impressive start continued in Kansas City. They ended up losing. They're an exciting team to watch and they've got weaknesses as you'd expect, some defensive weaknesses. I've enjoyed watching the game so far. Now, John Gallagher got on the end of a Jared Stroud through ball and fired past John Poole's camp in the KC goal to give Austin a seventh minute lead. A little bit of a a lucky bounce helping him uh, along the way. I don't think he knew much when it kind of hit off his, his thigh and into his path. Yeah, but it was a good good delivery. Yeah, it was a good, well-taken finish in the end as well. And it was a wide-open game. It was end-to-end stuff. It was very enjoyable. And I I think that's all of Austin's games so far. It's like they obviously want to play exciting, sexy football, and they've been doing that. Gianluca Busio and Daniel Saloy had a couple of efforts. Austin responded right away with a Thomas Potichino crashing a a long-range dipper of a, a shot off the bar in the 34th minute. Saloy had another great chance at the start of the second. He fired just past the far post. By that point, Kansas were dominating. And it kind of felt only a matter of time, I think, before they were going to get back into the game. Big turning point, though. Midway through the second half, 67th minute. Austin's captain, Alexander Ring. He was sent off for a second bookable offence. Which he could have been sent off for multiple other times. Definitely just a few minutes before there was a tug on Busio as he was running through that the referee never saw. But yeah, there was a few occasions he could have picked up a second yellow. 
There was one point where he kicked the legs out of a player, like yeah. kicked him right out, and he did, there was no call at all. It was just maybe a foul. You don't expect your captain to be as rash as that if he's on a yellow card. It was his first ever red card, too. In his yeah, career. in five years in MLS. No, and also including the back in... Uh, oh, really? In yeah. It was oh, all wow. I mean, it, it was costly. I, I think even if he'd been on the pitch, though, I fancied KC to, to get back into it. They had a slew of chances, though, after that. And you start to think, OK, maybe it's not their their night. Maybe their luck isn't in. Andrew Fontas had the best of all. He headed over from close range. He really, really should have got that on, on target. But the equaliser, it finally came with seven minutes remaining. Elias Sanchez, he rose well to head home a Johnny Russell corner. You feared the worst for Austin after that. Although okay, straight yeah. from kickoff, they went up the pitch and Pochettino had a... a another chance chance, but but yeah then the literally the last second it was 89 59 on the clock ball comes in gary kindad had a chance before that he headed into the bottom corner put casey ahead and i mean they had a couple of chances in stoppage time to to add to that creatively i thought casey were good their final passes and final shots let them down but I, I say, like, don't underestimate, same with Colorado, what a comeback win like this can do for a team. And from a Vancouver point of view, since we go to play them next Sunday, Casey's going to be buoyed by that. But they also look susceptible to quick counters, and they did switch off defensively after both goals. Yeah, that was the biggest thing. So uh, Kansas City is another team that is very similar to Minnesota, but they were able to... Luckily for that red card, uh, definitely made a difference. But uh, they're, they're a team that can have their moments where defensively, because they, they lost a player too. I think actually uh, Bessler, Beesler, sorry, uh, was on Austin today. Uh, that was somebody that was leading them last year. Yes. So, yeah. so that so it's another team that's kind of reworking their center back uh, positions and trying to figure out what's the best spot. But it was a, I mean, it was a, great, a great goal. Uh, great goal. It was a good game. I, I really enjoyed yeah. it, actually. So that was all the action in the West. And all of that, it leaves Seattle out in first place in the Western Conference by a solitary point. Vancouver finished the weekend in fourth place, which is pretty good. Three points back off first. There's just two points, though, separating Vancouver in fourth to 11th place in the standings. It's like crazy tight just now. Yeah. Minnesota? Remain bottom, winless and pointless ahead of the Whitecaps trip there on Wednesday. So we'll, we'll see what the midweek action brings. But we'll, we'll look a little bit around the, the rest of MLS as well, Steve. And anything you want to chip in here as well, feel free. Yeah. But I mean, we're, we're four weeks into the new season. Western Conference teams remain unbeaten against Eastern Conference opposition. It's a very small sample size. It's only seven games. The Whitecaps have had two of those against TFC and Montreal. Montreal. But five wins for the Western teams and two draws. And that includes the the Whitecaps win over Montreal on Saturday. Yeah, I don't know that you can read too much into that, but I just thought I'd throw that that fun stat in. It just might be the better teams. I I don't know exactly every game, but it might be just the better teams getting it. Uh, chances over weaker teams. It might even out at the end. It's also four of the the Eastern teams were in Champions League action. So I mean, they've, they've got off to, to slow starts. And and like talking of that, Toronto FC, their bad start has continued. It was a poor performance against New York Red Bulls. Two 0 defeat in the end. 
I think this is the last game, though, that Chris Armis, he's got the excuse of fatigue from being in the Champions League. So they now need to regroup and like move forward, get results quickly. They're only four points out of the playoffs. They've got a game yeah. in hand, so it's not exactly like panic stations for them. They're one of three winless teams in the East, though. But, I mean, they've made a couple of big, big additions this week. It's hard to see them not climbing the table soon. Yeah, it's just a matter of them, uh, you know, regrouping, and now they don't have to worry about the midweek games. Although, I don't know if they're playing midweek this week or not, but uh, it's just a matter of them getting it. I think Toronto will kind of rebound, although it's good to see them at the bottom for now. Then your boy, David Beckham's Inter-Miami. I, I think that is their official name, judging by the commentators in MLS. I don't know if they're contracted to name David Beckham's name every David time Beckham. they say Inter-Miami, but yeah, it def- definitely feels like it. And he only has a minority share in him. It's not even yeah. anything else. They kicked off the Sunday action. Um, I just really fast-forwarded through this because I was out with the dog, but it, it seemed an entertaining all-Eastern encounter against Atlanta. Did, did you see it? Did you just watch no, the highlights? I didn't, uh, no, I didn't even watch this one at all. I didn't get a chance to pick uh-huh. this up. But, but it's, it's uh, like Atlanta, what's going on with them? Like you expect mm. them to to perform better than this. Um, Inter-Miami, I know they're, you know, a team that's loaded with, um, you know, the uh, designated players, especially considering at the beginning yeah, they had too four. many of them. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but but Atlanta is still a very good team. And I'm just surprised at some of the results that they're having this season. Well, I mean, some of it might put down to the Champions League hangover but I mean like Joseph Martinez he got his first start today and his first goal of the season they badly need him back to scoring because it looks like they've got very little to to do the business when he's not performing for them but you you felt when they took the lead they would then go on but they they didn't they they allowed Miami to get back into it I thought Miami were denied a a clear penalty in the, the closing moments but VAR obviously didn't deem it clear and obvious. I I did, but folk can let us know what, what they think about that. Um, NYCFC and New England Revolution are the two teams that's out top in the East. They've got seven points and a one-point lead over the chase and pack. Yeah. Orlando, Nashville, Columbus, they're unbeaten. But there's just two points in the West separating first to ninth. So, I mean, it's tight as anything just now as well, which is what you want just four weeks in. Yeah, for me right now, it's still in the East. It's uh, it's good. Philadelphia is kind of showing, but they're playing Chicago. So, you know, that's that's almost, it seems like Chicago is probably the worst team in MLS at this point. Well, I don't really, know, Cincinnati takes some, some Yeah, beating. that's Well, true. they don't take some beating. That, that's, that's but you kind, of ex- you kind of expect it from Cincinnati. Um, uh, it may be a surprisingly bad team. Uh, and the other one, I think uh, Columbus is, is very good, playing really well. Again, they were playing against DC United, who... Uh, did not have good uh, oh, rapport with their coaches, apparently. Yeah, also they've got a slew of injuries and stuff just now as well. Yeah. So they're not only not fit, they're also very injured. So it's tough, tough times in DC. I mean, anything else from the East jump out of you this week? Not much. There's just maybe this is one of the few last games that the crew will actually win a game. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> this is the other big rumoured news this weekend, that Columbus seem to be changing their name. I mean, I don't know how much stock we can put in it, but it seems to have legs. It's, because it's Je- Jeff Carlisle uh, reported it. Yeah, uh, so I mean, you have to trust that. And there was a, an apparently new supposed logo leaked as well. Yeah. I mean, I I think the new logo looks awful, but I think their current logo looks awful as well. It's like the village people or something, I always thought, or it's like 
a sign you'd put up for construction ahead. I think you can still use. I think they'll still use the crew, the logo, the the, the old crew logo. I think they'll just uh, uh, use it in different spots in their in the mm. stadium. I don't think they'll ever let it go. But it's. Um, I think the they're they're changing it to Columbus SC or something like that. That's that's what it's said to be. And I, to be honest, I don't I don't mind that. Yeah. Which I know is ironic because I said I didn't want the impact dropped because it was unique. I guess Columbus Crew is unique, so I'm maybe being a bit hypocritical there, but. I mean, Crew does have a, a long history in the game in America as well. Yeah, it's, I think it's a, this is all started, uh, if I'm not mistaken, with especially the older teams. It started with the uh, the Wiz, Kansas City Wiz, uh, changing to the Sporting Kansas yeah. City. And so a lot, I think we're going to see a lot of more of these teams. I don't know the Galaxy. Maybe I don't think the Galaxy will ever, but the Dynamo might. Uh, Dynamo is a team that might change their name, but Dynamo is a. a, a a, a name that's around in football world. So I think maybe that stays. Um, if maybe. not mistaken, yeah, Dynamo's more of an Eastern European thing, right? Oh yeah, there's lots yeah. of uh, yeah, there's lots of linked to the old Soviet Union and stuff. No. Which I, is odd that Houston is doing that. An interesting thing, yeah, yeah, an interesting thing on the MLS website, and I, I can't remember if they did this last year or not, but it's a revamped site now, so I mean it's yeah. hard to tell. All the all the second names of the teams like Whitecaps or Crew or United or whatever, that's not in the standings. They just have like Vancouver, New England, uh, Montreal, Atlanta. So they don't have like Atlanta United. It just says Atlanta. Yeah. They don't have Columbus Crew. It's just Columbus. So maybe this is them starting to get teams away from being known by their, their monikers or whatever and just by the city. Yeah, it's, it's it's interesting because the thing is, is you if you do it for one team, you're gonna do it for all of them. But like, you, if you're gonna do Atlanta United, Columbus Crew would want to be called the Crew or something like that. So maybe they're just keeping it simple for everybody to read. Mm, maybe. But that is it for our roundup of Major League Soccer action this week. Hope you've enjoyed that. We're going to try and do this as a bit of a written thing as well every week as well. If I've got time to stick that up, so you can let me know if you've enjoyed that. We've not got too much more to talk about in the show tonight, but I'm going to take a little musical break now, and it's time for this week's Wavelength. So, you know, I like to push boundaries on the show in this section in particular. Last week, we featured some Japanese avant-garde electropop. But the theme for the songs this month is all about footballers. So you'll be glad to know, guys, that it's a footballer that you'll know well this week. It's going to be a song about Alan Shearer, the former Newcastle United, Blackburn Rovers and England striker. This is a song from 2013 by a Welsh lo-fi anti-folk band called Quiet Marauder. And this is a song from their five-track EP, Alan Shearer, My Interstellar Life, which it's a concept EP and it's telling the story of how after he retires from football, Alan Shearer discovers the secrets to build a time machine and decides to go back in various times of history to kind of review them, such as the signing of the Treaty of Versailles. Who wouldn't go back to, to check out that moment in history? So this is the song, Time Waits for No Man, except dot dot dot. Who's that guy at the crucifixion? He looks a little out of place. Who's that guy hanging out at Versailles when the treaty was signed away? Who's that man 
Shouldn't have been there at all But that same lovable northern face Watched the Roman Empire fall Who's that guy in the grass you know When JFK was blown away That same guy was at the Twin Towers That fateful day It's our favorite golden sun It's time travel around and cheer Some plan, a grand overarching scheme to initiate a millennial long regime with Alan Shearer's banner mounted squarely at the front. Maybe he's just a tourist trying to understand what makes a man do the things he has to do. Do the Quiet marauder there. Time waits for no man except for Alan Shearer. Do you like a bit of time traveler adventures with Alan Shearer? I think I think that's a great concept. I've always wanted to do that, where you kind of do it like you're in the moment. Um, I, I, like, I love concept albums. I, it, you know, it's a weird thing, but I, I, I've always wanted to do a podcast where you could do a podcast about like a World War Two, like you're actually there and doing like a timeline of it. That's always. I don't know if so, I think somebody's done that, if, uh, like gone back in history. But you can also do stuff like um, during like Julius Caesar reign uh, in the Roman Empire, doing like a podcast, like you're you're right there. But you have to do a lot of history research and everything like that. Oh, my favorite subject at school. I loved history. Yeah, haven't, me too. Hasn't someone like done like tweeted like through World War Two? Yeah, they have. Yeah, I remember yeah, I've seen the, the war, which I thought was just magnificent. It's like yeah. if, if you're a kid at school learning about World War Two, those tweets are just yeah. absolutely magnificent. But anyway, that was wavelength. I, any more football things you want to talk about this week? Well, well, yeah. I mean, today was a great, another great day. I'll just sit back now. <laughs> <laughs> Um, yeah, for I mean, for Bayern supporters, and uh, I see I see more and more Alfonso Davies people liking Bayern stuff on social media, which is fun. Um, but yeah, thanks to it wasn't actually this we didn't have to even finish it on the pitch. It was thanks to Borussia Dortmund's victory over Deadpool today. I did hear that they messed up, so that clinched yet another. Is that nine in a row? That's nine on the trot. Mm. Um, Same which, as Celtic before yeah, this year. Well, that's what we got to better that next year. Um, is that the most Bayern's won in a row? Oh yeah. Is that to... like the history in German football? Oh yeah, yeah. Oh, 
the Bundesliga because nine in a row in Scotland's been done three times, which kind of shows you how crappy Scottish football has been over the years. Exactly. No, there's never been a. Uh, this is unprecedented. Um, I used to have the first thirty winners of the Bundesliga around my office, and then they were around Kirk's room for a while. Um, from when I went over in two thousand three, I think it was first thirty, maybe it was first forty. Anyways, um, yeah, it was first forty. But no, uh, yeah. So today, Bayern Munich. Uh, clinched their their ninth title in a row. Uh, 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 they played Gladbach, and Gladbach is uh, a, has a really good roster, a really deep roster. Uh, but they had this thing happen this year where their coach announced that he was leaving to go take up the post at Dortmund next year. And since then, the their results have really nosedived, and so they're they're going to finish middle of the table and likely out of a European place, which is tragic because they have a good kind of sounds familiar about what's happening to. Uh... Uh, the uh, Red Bulls as well, that their coach is leaving for another team, and they they lost today too. Wondering, I'm wondering where he's going. I can't remember. Mm. But Borussia not being in in Europe's a big thing for as long mm. as I can remember. Borussia has been in Europe. Borussia Mönchengladbach. Oh, not Dortmund. Uh, Dortmund today because of their win, they've snuck into the last Champions League spot ahead of Frankfurt. It's oh. a merry-go-round right now in Germany because oh, I thought they had. I th- oh, they've come good then. Because last time I looked, they looked out of it. Gladbach's coach Mike, Marco Rosa is going to Dortmund, and they're they were bat, they've been battling Frankfurt for the last Champions League spot. Frankfurt's coach Adi Hutter is going to Gladbach next year, and then of course uh, Julian Nagelsmann, who's a, mm. a lifelong Bayern fan, is going to be. Uh, we're gonna we're gonna get out at one of those um, power washers, and we're gonna wa- hose down all the dead bull, get it all off of him before he comes into Stingers <laughs> And, uh, yeah, he's a, a super young, talented coach uh, who has a okay. lot of upside. Okay. Now yeah. that we've got Zach uh, using Alfonso Davies to talk about Bayern Munich. Let's move on let's, to Steve. Yeah. To, let's let's, let's go to some other, can, some other Canadians that have done well this weekend, especially on Saturday. Uh, Christine Sinclair. Uh, I know she's playing for Portland. We don't really want to cheer for Portland teams, but... Uh, she's led the Thorns to be uh, willing. They won the Challenge Cup and uh, they beat a team that I probably cheer for if it wasn't playing against Christine Sinclair. They beat, they beat Gotham FC. Um, she scored a goal and uh, they won on penalty six five. And she scored in the penalties as well. Uh, so uh, that's great for her. And then another Canadian who's actually I would say is probably more impressive than what Alfonso Davies has done is uh, Jonathan David. Uh, scored his 12th goal for Lille, uh, topping uh, Thomas Rosinski's record of 11 goals uh, playing in a uh, top five league in Europe. Uh, he scored for 11 for Everton back in 2 3 uh, Ben Massey's favorite too, from what I remember, Thomas Rosinski. Um, and then, uh, and that, that's actually uh, team-wise, uh, they beat him 3-0 uh, today, uh, but they put Lille up four points up on PSG. Yeah. Uh, for top spot in League One, PSG that's still have to play tomorrow. Amazing if if Lille can can Lille. land the French title. Yeah, that would be huge. Also, I just about Alfonso Davies. He played well today. There was glimpses. We talked before about how maybe this season hasn't been as good. He played really, really well today. In particular, on the fourth goal, he he in in the defensive end, he wins a, a great tackle. Mike, you would have been proud of him. Didn't go through the guy, but like totally wins the ball. Starts to go upfield. The guy has a go at him. He goes around the guy. I think goes around a second guy, has a give and go, and then lays it off to Lewandowski, who set in Coleman for the goal. Oh, nice. Yeah, yeah he had a major influence on the team, I think, today. Yeah, impacted the result. 
Anything else, Steve? No, that was it. Those uh, I just wanted to mention those uh, three Canadians. Oh, Zach mentioned Byron, but uh, the other two Canadians and what they did today. East Fife season's over, so I don't have anything of that to talk about. One last thing about the outgoing Byron coach. We talked oh, about <laughs> today. Today he claimed his seventh uh, title with Byron, and in all his competitive matches, he has seven losses. Yeah, he deserves to get fired. Wow. Seven losses in all those years. No, it's a, a year and a half. Oh, he's not. He's what? not. Getting, he's not getting fired. He's choosing to leave. I thought he meant he'd landed seven league titles in a row, and yeah. I thought he'd only got seven losses in that no, time. No, thank God he was forced out. <laughs> forced out. Seven well, hopefully they can do better moving forward. That's all yeah. anyone can hope. Uh, a struggling, you know, a down on the luck team like Bayern Munich. Hopefully they do better next year. Yeah, I mean you've got to support these these small teams that uh. don't make the European Super League. Really, I mean that's yeah. we we didn't even talk about Lewandowski reaching thirty nine goals. Somebody cut Zach's mic. <laughs> Where's our producer? Right, that is it for this episode of the show. It's gone on longer than I thought it was going to. Just before we go, though, Steve, let everyone know where they can find you online. And what have you learned from the, the show this week? Based on what Paul told us, that every MLS team should have a testimonial match for uh, Camacho this year because it's his last season. Yes, he, he's given so much to other teams around MLS. Well, uh, my name is Zach. Uh, what I learned on this episode... Hi, Zach! I learned that um, Michael loves Nessie. I do. I'm wearing my Loch Ness FC top with Nessie. So, okay. Steve, you never said where we could find you online. Um, you can find me on Twitter at WhitecapSpeed. For me, it's at Zachary A.M. I'm Michael McCall. You can find me online at AFTN Canada on Twitter. Read our stuff away from the numbers, AFTN.ca. And please subscribe and turn notifications on to our YouTube channel, youtube.com backslash AFTN Canada. The guys will be back with a midweek show looking at the hopeful win over Minnesota United and looking ahead to Sporting Kansas City. I might even throw in a Johnny Russell interview. Who knows what the week will bring. But until next time, as always, thank you so much for listening. Take care and mon their caps. When you're listening in some far-flung corner of the globe to the world service of a Saturday afternoon, friendly reception, interference, cosy, marvellous. Somehow comforting, isn't it? You know, legendary names, fathers and sons on the terraces, cheesy peas at half-time, Pipe for dad, mum's at home making the tea. Oh, everything's all right with the world, isn't it? Saturday afternoon is football. Hmm?